This is the end Hold your breath and count to ten Feel the earth move and then Hear my heart burst again For this is the end I've drowned and dreamed this moment So overdue I owe the Swept away I'm stolen Welcome back to Double Oz 7. We are back from the dead, just like James Bond. And we're here to talk about the 23rd James Bond film, part of the 50th anniversary of James Bond, 2012, Skyfall. Uh, It's been a long break for us, um, but uh, just like the long break leading into the movie, which we'll talk a little bit about. But I'm so excited to be here. I'm sure all of us are so excited to be back talking about one of the greatest Bond movies of all time. Uh, My name is Colin, and I am one of the two rats that will be fighting to the death on this show. Uh, My name is Noah Groves, and I too took the bloody shot and missed. And my name is Ben, and I like you better without your Beretta. Naked with hard R. <laughs> yeah, this is all this build up for all oh, Ben's got an intro. Ben's gotta be really good. What's Ben's intro gonna be? And what does it turn out to be? Like, I like you better without your beretta. So yeah, that was that was my big intro. I hope you liked it. Jeez, the big this is a, this is a month's celebrate. worth of this is a month's worth of preparation without recording episodes. So there you go. <laughs> yes. I but, can't wait um, for Spectre. Yeah, let's Let's move into it here. Uh, We're getting so close to the end of the recaps here, which is sad, but at the same time, we get to cover one of the greatest movies of all time with Skyfall. I almost called it Spectre. There's too many of these S titles floating around with Daniel Craig. Uh, But Skyfall was the 50th uh, anniversary of James Bond, a huge buildup, four-year gap, as I was alluding to earlier, in between Quantum of Solace and this. And uh, it felt like it lasted even longer than the Die Another Day Casino Royale gap, um, even though that might have been just because there was more going on in between the movies and with casting and everything. But, I mean, overall, I guess let's go through our opinions on Skyfall, uh, first impressions. For me, I like I said, I had so much anticipation with this one. Uh, It was a four-year wait that felt like an eight-year wait, uh, which... Really, I think the 50th anniversary didn't have as much of a build-up, I think, when it first started as the Die Another Day one did. Die Another Day, it seemed like Bond was everywhere, and it was more at the last minute when all of the Skyfall and 50th anniversary stuff started coming out. But, I mean, I was so excited when this movie came out, 
And my original impression of this when I saw it was not as high as it is now, kind of like Casino Royale. And that might have been just due to, you know, huge expectations when it did come out. But, I mean, every single time I watch this movie, it just gets better and better and better. And I think, mm-hmm. even though I don't think this is going to end up as my number one uh, on my rankings, I think this is the closest thing I could pick to a Bond masterpiece, where I think everything just worked so well. And, uh, you know, Sam Mendes brought so many new ideas to this series. I mean, it's it's just a movie that gets better and better each time I watch it. That's interesting that you said that it gets better every time you watch it, because I think the opposite. Um, I think it gets worse every time I watch it. Um, Every time I see it, I always notice something where I'm like, oh, oh, there's that plot hole, or there's that thing I'm not that too keen on. Uh, So I'm the opposite to you, but I still enjoy it very much, though. Um, Like, that doesn't mean I hate it, but... Spectre is a film where I feel like every time I watch it, it gets better. This is one where it's like, eh, I notice more things. Maybe that time will come with Spectre. But, um, yeah, when I first saw it, I kind of loved it and loathed it because it was a great film and coming off a four-year gap and Quantum of Solace. Um, At the same time, I was kind of expecting a lot more for the 50th anniversary. I don't mean Die Another Day level of references, but... Just a bit more of a traditional Bond film, like I knew Q was coming back. I thought it would just be a bit more, lots of the theme song, lots of Bond, James Bonds. But I kind of gotten over that, because that did come a bit more Inspector, and it is a great celebration with all the Skyfall stuff that actually happens for the 50th anniversary. But a really strong film that is maybe not as good as when I first saw it. Um... I have such an interesting history with this film because I will admit I've only seen it three times. Um, but wow. uh, the thing with this film is that, like, Colin, you say that every time you've watched it, it gets better. Noah, you say every time you watch it, it gets worse. I'm on, like, a bipolar roller coaster with this film because <laughs> the first time I... It's s- like a band. <laughs> well, it is. It's, it's my new band, Bipolar <laughs> Roller Coaster, coming soon to uh, the Doan Entertainment Centre. Featuring Fatty Esther and Skinny Esther, not fronted by Ben Waterworth. Um, but, um, no, it's like... Well, I already started the 50th anniversary callback. 50th anniversary of 007. Um, but, no, it's it's, it's interesting because I, I think I mentioned this at the end on Quantum of Solace. I remember seeing this in the in the cinema and I just walked out and I was just like, wow, that, that was wow. And I just, I couldn't stop thinking about this film for days upon days. And I only saw it once at the movies and... It was just something about it that just played on my mind. It was just, it was a unique film. And again, we'll get into no doubt the Craig bashing throughout this film from Noah and I about, you know, the different elements. And I agree with Noah, like it would have been good to have a traditional Bond film, you know, uh, to celebrate the 50th one. But it was just so unique. And, you know, then the second time I watched it, I was kind of like, well, look, it's still very, very good, but it's maybe not as good as I thought it was. And then on this third watch, again, my opinion just shot up of it. I was like, wow this is such a good film, you know, and there's so much about this that is great. Having said that, there is there is one thing in this film that each time I watch it, it just really irks me, and we'll get to it in this, because there's just this one key thing in this entire movie that I just think ruins this film for me. Um, and I also think that it's... While Quantum of Solace was the... Um, 
what do we say, like the the hipster kind of Bond film. This is the art house James Bond film, which worked so much for people. I mean, it won two Academy Awards. I mean, is this the the most that a, a Bond film has ever won? You know, it actually won mm-hmm. multiple Oscars instead of Not just... Not to mention how many nominations it had. Well, exactly. And, and, I mean, there was talk, I think, even I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Colin, that there was, there was even rumours that this could be a potential Best Picture candidate. Um, yeah. I mean, Javier Bardem got nominated, I think, for a, a SAG award, didn't he, for this? And many people said he was robbed of, like, a, an Oscar or a Golden Globe nomination. I mean, it was there was so much about this film. That, and, and I could see that. I mean, this if you take this out of the Bond universe and say this is just a film, um, maybe it would have got nominated for Oscars. I think possibly the fact that it was a James Bond film maybe diminished its chances to get nominated for, like, a Best Picture or something like that. But, I mean, all that aside... It is. It is still a fantastic film. Um, how it fits into the James Bond universe? We'll talk about this throughout it because I mean, it is. Compare this to Doctor No or Goldfinger. I mean, it's you wouldn't know they're in the same series, but. There is a lot in this that we're going to talk about, but I, I'm looking forward because this has been one that I've been looking forward to really talking about uh, for a long time. I think we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the the gap in between the movies, which we'd only really experienced the gap between License to Kill and GoldenEye, which was, you know, for different reasons, you could say partly legal reasons, partly the fact that the, the series just didn't have the steam to automatically warrant an immediate sequel. And then the Casino Royale to, uh, or Dying of the Day to Casino Royale, you know, obviously a lot to do with recasting and getting the rights to Casino Royale. But this one was interesting because it was almost an intentional gap of four years uh, with the original plan they had after Quantum of Solace came out was to do again another two-year gap and have Quantum of Solace in 2008. Then we'd have Bond 23, which would have been Skyfall in 2010, so that then they could do the 24th movie, which let's just say that was End Up Spectre as the 50th anniversary. But the whole thing with the MGM um, filing for bankruptcy and everything, that pretty much guaranteed that they weren't going to make that 2010 date. And as soon as they didn't make the 2010 date, they said, let's just push this to the 50th because they really want that 50th anniversary movie. And I think having a little bit of extra prep for this movie is probably what it needed. Um, I'll get into a little bit of trivia, I guess, later on. You know, the original screenwriter they had had a very different script and Again, just the delay caused them to lose that screenwriter. And then when you get other people in, it's just there's so many coincidences of how this movie ended up being when it was released and how it was released. But that gap, I mean, I can't be the only one who really felt like that gap lasted forever. Um, ben, were you the same? Yeah, and it was interesting. I know you mentioned before about the Die Another Day to Casino Royale gap. And I, I definitely agree because i mean this is obviously well and truly into the internet age everyone has the internet smartphones and all this by this point and i mean i i would constantly every year be like going cool when's the james next james bond film coming out and i don't always be looking and um you know i remember just getting impatient because it was just hey what's going on and then when i eventually found out yeah you know they're holding it back for the uh 50th anniversary it was like okay jesus and i mean four years is a, is a long time i mean it's an olympiad um <laughs> uh, and it's you know, I think maybe maybe I felt the gap a little bit more between Die Another Day and Casino Royale because there was so much changes in between that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely felt it. Um, but uh, I, I hope we don't have another four-year gap. I mean, we had a three-year gap between Skyfall and Spectre, obviously, but I hope we don't have to wait now to um, 20, 2019 for, for Bond 25, which I, I doubt we will, will we? I, I, I don't know. 
<laughs> Depends on how long the casting is going to take, or the re-signing or recasting, or if just Elba ages too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, yeah, he, he's getting quite on a little bit, old Idris, so uh, they better hurry yeah. up and uh, get one out. All right, it so... Was long. Uh, so. It was a long gap. That's all Noah has to say about it, which sums it all up. Four years is a long time. Um, I guess, well, before we really cover the rest of the movie, we could talk just about, I guess, the change in um, uh, some of the crew and everything, more or less the hiring of Sam Mendes, which was a huge deal at the time. And I think the story's pretty widely known now that, uh, you know, Daniel Craig, obviously one of his first big breaks uh, was Road to Perdition, which was Sam Mendes' movie. And when he was first being approached about Bond, he asked Sam Mendes for his advice. And Mendes said, never take the movie. You'll be trapped in that. And you'll be typecast. It'll ruin your career. And flash forward to about, you know, four years later or whatever. And they're looking for a new director. And Daniel Craig asks Sam Mendes, hey, would you be interested in doing Bond? And Mendes jumps at the chance and realizes that he was the biggest idiot in the world for telling Daniel Craig to stay away from this. Uh, so hiring Sam Mendes was really like, I think it was the first time where they really sought after a huge director. I mean, obviously, Mark Forrester and Quantum of Solace, he had had some success. He'd been nominated for you know, an Oscar or whatever. But Sam Mendes was, I guess, really up there with somebody like Christopher Nolan is like the hottest director working of like the last decade. You know, American Beauty and Jarhead and uh, um, what was the other? Road to Perdition that I just mentioned. <laughs> uh, so the hiring of Sam Mendes, I, I guess they kind of immediately went out to make this like you mentioned ben kind of an art house movie but more just like really high quality um they were aiming i think for a masterpiece so uh i guess do we want to talk at all about the hiring of mendes and some of the other crew members if you know anything about them going through uh just that <laughs> it was a huge uh plus over who we had for quantum of solace and um, I guess I don't know if we're talking about Mendes as a whole but there's definitely some really good things he added to the series but also some questionable things um, but it was a great thing that clearly they wanted to match again with Spectre and who knows if he'll do a third one he says he won't but he said he wouldn't do a second one either so um, yeah it, it was a really good addition well, so, I mean, obviously, first uh, back-to-back director, wasn't he, since... Uh, well, I mean, we obviously get into Spectre or jumping ahead a little bit ourselves there, but uh, John Glenn, we'll get to that. But I, I kind of... I summed it up a little bit. Um, the, I'm a big fan of the Honest Trailers, and I, I love it in the one for Skyfall when uh, they get there and they say, from the director whose most famous action scene is this, and it's the plastic bag scene from American Beauty. <laughs> um, but... I just want to point out, when I, I heard Sam Mendes was directing this film, and I actually, I don't generally pay too much attention to, like, directors and that of films like this sort of stuff, but I, I'm a massive, massive, massive American Beauty fan, and I know a lot of people are. I do know a lot of people actually don't like the film, but I think it's one of the best movies of all time, and that was the first feature film he did and, you know, won a truckload of Oscars and all this sort of stuff. So I, I was I was excited to see what he would do with it. 
um, you know, expecting like James Bond to fall in love with like a 17 year old cheerleader um, <laughs> and have like um, his girlfriend go off and start banging the real estate agent or something along those lines. Um, but, you know, I think that it was it was an interesting choice, but it worked out very well. And I mean, the, the, we'll get to no doubt with Spectre, just the difference in kind of styles of the film, because I think while as, yeah, Colin, you mentioned that I said like this it was a real art house kind of film, but then obviously Spectre kind of goes back to a more traditional Bond feel which i think is, is great and I, I kind of wish they had have swapped this around a little bit and maybe done specter style for this as noah said to keep it bond style for the 50th anniversary but um i mean it works and um look i've i will admit i've only seen american beauty out of all the films i'm looking here that he has directed i have never seen blood i have never seen the kite runner i have never seen things we lost in the fire which i'm guessing might have been the kite because it was running away um and i've never seen road to perdition either which daniel craig's in that is he not in that film, yes. yeah. At least we but, know where the kite line comes yeah, from. Yes. Mr. he's got it. He's, he's he's renowned for his kites and plastic bags blowing in the wind. Uh, is old. I'm just Sam. wondering though. I, you're, I think you're reading his producing credits because he didn't direct most of those. Oh, uh, so. hang on. No, well, I'm, I'm reading a list here. It's got director, producer, executive producer. Hang on a minute. Let's look here. Um, well, so, away we go. Brings the facts. Ben Waterworth learning his directors right now. Uh, <laughs> this is why I wasn't on the book episode because I can't even read what's in front of me. Um, so, <laughs> all right. Well, we know Sam. On, yeah. As we just move on, watch Road to Perdition and Jarhead, and you'll never go back to American Beauty. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess you said that they they aren't really. Both of you kind of said they they didn't really embrace you know a traditional Bond movie, but I think we're going to realize throughout the course of this, they kind of did. It's just, it was a very slow transition. And I don't think you could have made it to Spectre without having some of the transitions they did have here. I mean, the pre-title scene is one of those examples. This is completely back to your traditional pre-title sequence. Um, It's, you know, starts out with kind of right in the middle of a mission. You're not really sure what's going on. Bond stumbles across one of their dead agents, Ronson. Ronson. Now he's after a henchman. Yeah. Poor Ronson, Ronson, the star of this movie. He's, He's Davidov. He's uh, Sean Campbell. He's uh, Mitchell. Mitchell. (laughs) Do it for Ronson, Bond. (laughs) That's going to be the theme. Do it for Ronson. Do it for Ronson. (laughs) The real reason he came back from the dead. For England, Uh, James? No, no, for Ronson. For Ronson. (laughs) For Ronson. (laughs) Can we do a rankings um... episode? Davidov versus Ronson versus Mitchell. (laughs) Mitchell. I'm putting Ronson up. Davidoff for the win. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it, I kind of like the idea that here we have this Agent Ronson, and it's we're used to being thrust right into the middle of his escapades or his adventures, but this is right in the middle of it. This is, like, as close as you pay attention to this, you still are only fantasizing about all the stuff that happened before this moment where Bond walks on screen, which, by the way... Like, one of the best introductions Bond's had in a movie, just that out-of-focus shot, and then he walks towards the camera. But he's on the trail of Patrice, the the henchman, uh, throughout this. I guess he would be the only real henchman. Um, and it leads to a car chase where with Eve, the new Bond girl, as this movie was promoted as. Just Eve, in the movie nobody else. Scenes. Just Eve, just like Eve. Just Fields, it's only Just Eve. Eve They're Eve. really opposed to having first names and last names in these new Craig films. Uh, but there's a car chase in which I think it's hilarious that automatically Eve, we won't spoil it in case you want to listen to this episode before watching the movie. Uh, she's Eve not is like Money the, Penny. She's not Money Penny. I mean, <laughs> they've very clearly stated that throughout. 
but <laughs> she's basically the worst agent ever. I mean, she's breaking all the mirrors. She's a terrible driver. She's a terrible shot. Um, Bond gets to go on a motorcycle, which I know Noah's probably completely freaking out when he's Woo! riding the motorcycle on rooftops here. Yeah, and then there's that amazing stunt, the, the backflip off the motorcycle right onto the train, leading to the train fight. I mean, again, this is classic Bond. It's just one thing leads to another. It just gets bigger and bigger. And we have Bond taking a backhoe to a train. <laughs> the greatest moment, which I, we have to talk about just this one moment, and I hope I'm not the only one who who idolizes this moment where Bond, after ripping apart the back of the train drops into it and then fixes his cuffs <laughs> <Pierce Brosnan's laughs> which is like back. It, you total pierce Brosnan thing like with the tie in the world is not enough uh i just remember that shot was in all of the trailers and every single time i saw this trailer playing in a movie theater i swear people laughed and applauded just at that one shot and it got the exact same reaction when i saw it opening night um, this opening sequence is fantastic. I don't think it's my favorite opening sequence of all time. You know, it is just kind of another mission. But, I mean, it ultimately leads to Bond dying. Uh, you know, Eve taking the bad shot. And it's just, it was, I think, if I look at this in the context and when we eventually do rank the opening sequences, I don't think this will be anywhere near my top. But, again, coming off of Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, where you had these two to three minute opening sequences that were very much just one thing happening... Now, all of a sudden, we have this massive opening sequence again. And I think this was embracing classic Bond more. Um, yeah, this is really good. Again, it's not one of my favorites. It's probably in my not even top 10 or maybe just top 10. But it's a solid scene. It's got great action. It's got motorbikes. Bond <laughs> and motorbikes go together. Uh, they should be in every film. Uh, more tra train bad luck for Bond. Like he just cannot get anything right with the train. Bit of that in this film, actually. Yeah, uh, that's a, a <laughs> recurrent scene. They're doing all the throwbacks to pass Bond with all the train bad luck uh, with this film. Um, I've written in my notes here. Money Penny sucks. Uh, <laughs> I think that's in reference to Colin, where she's just getting everything wrong. A throwback to Mary Goodnight. There. Oh wait, did I say that? Oh. Uh, don't yes. fight me. Um, <laughs> I've written here, why is M even on the line? Like, what's she doing? Why is well, he talking I mean, to her? Again, it's established later in the movie, this is a list of all of their agents, so I think it's pretty high security. Yeah, but you think most missions he does is high security. Um, M mustn't be that busy if she's just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what do you want to do, M? Oh, let's listen to one of our agents on a mission. Uh, <laughs> reschedule my meeting with the Prime Minister. i got to listen to Bosch. Like, why is it... He's on the mission for a reason. No why... wonder MI6 what is gets she actually blown adding up? To it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've actually noticed a recurring theme that in this film that M's actually pretty inept at being M. <laughs> uh, we'll get into more of that, but yeah, she gets a lot of things wrong. Um, but I guess Mallory does too, or and every M. Um, but yeah, and also, why does he she, she have to take the bloody shot to take out Ronson? Ronson, he... Ronson's already Ronson. 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 No, Ronson. 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 Uh, Patrice. <laughs> He's that dangerous of a man. Yeah, yeah, I get to take out Patrice. It's all I about get... revenge for Ronson. Like, 
As soon as M found out Ronson was dead, she's take the like, bloody shot. take the bloody shot. Well, it's his fault it's... that Ronson's dead. She's told him to leave him for dead, the bitch. Well, Bob was actually about to kill the person who was getting Ronson, but then M was talking in his ear and then he got distracted. It's just everything's going wrong. No, I get that it's to kill Patrice, but Bomb was doing it. Why couldn't a Bomb continue to do it under the tunnel? I know she had the clear shot, but Bond, James Bond rarely ever fails. Like, girl, <laughs> just, trust did Bond Penny really have the clear shot? <laughs> yeah, well, she said she has a shot, which, again, Money Penny sucks. Oh, Eve sucks. Um, yeah, boo, Eve, go, Ronson. Um, <laughs> Why can't Ronson be Money Penny? <laughs> yeah. I haven't fully introduced myself. My name's Ronson. Ronson Money. <laughs> uh, Ronson Money Penny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a great, like, when he gets shot off there. But it's like, oh, it's just face par when it happens. Because Money Penny, you suck. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a good calculated decision by M to say take the bloody shot when it's risking shooting Bond over Patrice when Bond at least had a better chance of getting Patrice. But let's not get into the finer details. It is a fun pre-title sequence. Um, again, not one of my favourites, but such a great action-packed start to the film and probably the most action in the entire film, although you could count the climax too. Well, I will say that I've written down here in my notes, motorbike Noah Happy. So... Um... <laughs> I was exactly. it's, it's no different to whenever I see someone get burnt, I'm writing Colin Happy. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I look out for my co-host on Double Oz 7. I'm thinking of their feelings while I'm watching this film. And tits happy. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. That's so ben every happy. Every time we see a nipple, we're like, nipple. Ben, really happy. Nipple. Yeah, actually, it's not even tits, it's just <laughs> It can be Daniel Craig, too. There were no nipples in this film, actually. I was quite disappointed. Um, not even M's, but... Um, but <laughs> Especially not. It's the short hair. But one thing I will say, um, this this cock tease of a 50th anniversary film, we've said it... Oh, no gun barrel! (laughs) We said Casino Royale, no fucking gun barrel. Quantum of Solace, no fucking gun barrel. How do they start this film? With an eye, like, here's the gun barrel... No, it's Daniel Craig. 50th anniversary. It's the 50th anniversary. That off at a really bad uh, tone going in. I know Colin doesn't really care about this kind (laughs) of gun barrel business, but that really... I'm like, oh, great. We're in for a good one here. But it's like... like, I I mean, I agree with Colin. I think it's a fantastic start to the film. Like, it's a great shot. And one thing that's magnificent about this film, the cinematography is just so beautiful in Skyfall. It's such a well-shot film. But, like... That shot, it's like the gun barrel. Like, why not have the gun barrel? And then, as the pin hulk opens, that's his eye. Like, I've seen that edited together on YouTube, and it worked. Well, there you go. Someone did it. Absolutely. I mean, like when we get to Spectre, Noah and I were so fucking excited sitting in that theatre when you hear the dun it dun dun, and you see the gun barrel. It was like I the, that was the best thing ever because it had been and it set you off at a good pace. You're like, all right, this is going to be a good thirteen thing. years since. And we'd it was seen the it. only it was the only spoiler you asked me to give yes. you after I got out of the movie. <laughs> like gun barrel, we heard a rumor there's a gun barrel. Is there? And you're like, yes. But um, outside of that, I mean, this opening sequence, like, I'm probably a little bit higher up on it than you guys are. I think it's a great opening sequence. Maybe just sneaks inside the top ten because I think again, it's well shot. It's like it's beautifully shot, and there's lots of like again 
kind of mini throwbacks, which it's making me feel like, hey, this is going back to the more traditional Bonds. I mean, we get that kind of, you know, the whole little banter there with um, Eve, Money Penny, sorry, not Money Penny, Eve, uh, with like the mirror, like, oh, it's all right, I wasn't using that. And then she gets rid of the next one. Oh, I wasn't using that one either. Like, you know, just little quips like that, which I think are kind of cool. Um, that was the Roger Moore line from Spy Love Me. Women drivers. <laughs> women drivers. <laughs> yes. Um, and then also like um, when she's driving and um, like the Beatles are coming, like, what was that? Uh, Volkswagen Beatles, ma'am. And then like, <laughs> what, what the bloody hell's going on? Oh, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> like just little things. Volkswagen Beatles. I wouldn't be seen listening to them at a hundred... What are all the references? It's the 50th anniversary. <laughs> but, I mean, all we did, okay, all we did was complain about the references and die another day. And now it's like, why can't we have another die another day? Can we just point out though that like Eve isn't an inept field agent, but she's pretty badass. Like I mean, you know, she's driving around, she's like smashing on the wrong side of the road. Then when she loses a windscreen, she's kicking it out. You know, she's driving here, she's driving there. Like you know, great, fantastic. Eve is going to kick some ass. But again. This is fucking money penny. Like, can you is Samantha Bond in this car, like driving around here doing this? No, like I'm not picturing it. Lois Maxwell. Um, you know, Lois Maxwell can do anything. Lois Maxwell. I'm M. No, you're not, Lois. Go away. Um, <laughs> That's why she couldn't be M. She never fired a gun. Yes, exactly. But I mean, the motorbike stuff works fantastically. The train stuff. I, I absolutely love it when he's like they're they're shooting in the train, and then Bond. I love it when he runs out of bullets, and then. Um, um, the, what's his name? Patrice is the worst fucking shot in the world because I mean he must have been a stormtrooper. Second worst. But, well, like he's like James Bond is in a fucking what is it an excavator thing? He's got like he's sitting still in a glass box. All you have to do is shoot. Like it's the easiest shot in the world, and he misses. And this is like five minutes before Bond puts the shovel out to protect himself. Like he could have walked up to him in that fucking excavator and shot him point blank in the head. But no, he just let him drive up, rip the train open. We get the fantastic Bond cufflinks. I agree, it's it's great. But like, is this train driver the worst train driver? Why wouldn't you pull the train over? Like, could you not realize that you've lost half your carriages you've got a guy manhandling a excavator ripping your carriages to bits you've got a bunch of panicked turkish passengers in this plane shitting themselves while these men are having a punch up and a shootout and he's still driving obviously it's very important i to think get we've these- got a whole list of worst uh, train drivers this uh, film we'll get to some James other ones yeah. <laughs> so jigs with trains i'm telling you now if i'm ever in hollywood or in london and i see daniel craig getting on the tube if i see roger moore getting on the subway if i see pierce brosnan rocking up on puffing billy i'm walking the other direction because they are screwed on trains um, and the whole take the bloody shot thing, like, yeah, it's great. But my question is, if if Eve hits Patrice, he's going to do exactly the same thing that happened to James Bond and fall in that river. How are they going to recover that? Because they obviously couldn't find fucking Bond's body. So, like, how the hell are they going to get that list back anyway? It's a lose-lose situation. Why not just let them trust but Do they them? need the list, though? Well, they, yeah, they, they just don't want it to get out. They probably think, have a second You'd think that M would know who the agent is. Oh, I really need to know who, but, I, who but, works but for me. But either way... That's why <laughs> later on when the YouTube video comes up, she's like, 
Jeez, I didn't realize Bill was working for us still. But if they're trying to Rodgen. stop it, but like if they shot bloody Patrice and he's floating in the Turkish river, some little Turkish boy picks up a little disc and he's like, Mummy, Mummy, what's on this USB? He puts it, I mean, Turkey's on the border where ISIS is, folks. Like, I mean, it's not exactly going to be safekeeping. Well, but anyway, the, the, the other side of the train tunnel was ISIS territory. And, and just one, th- one thing to point out. James Bond has just gone from two movies ago from getting his balls minced into mincemeat and having to be in hospital for three months where he fell in love. Um, and now he gets shot in the fucking chest, falls about 100 metres into a river with sharp rocks, somehow survives, and in five minutes he's boning a naked woman in some Caribbean island somewhere. So we're back to superhuman Bond. I'll just point that out. Well, again, I don't know if you realise, Ben, that not everything in movies happens back to back. This isn't 24. It's not real time. That's probably the months later. The entirety of Skyfall happened in two hours. <laughs> well, did James they Bond did say we should... <laughs> Well, come on, we should say that by the time this movie ends, his entire estate has been sold, his apartment's been sold, everything's been put into storage, and the gun collection's already been auctioned off on eBay. I mean, this isn't six minutes later. Shut up, 24, warp my mind, get fucked. (laughs) We need to remind you how long it takes to fly places again, Ben. (laughs) Leave me alone, go back to your book episode. In all of this this about, you know, he could have taking the shot this would have been in isis hands still the thing that gets the most mocking three months and he's falling in love <laughs> let's move on uh, although so, he did float a long way didn't he my yeah. point was how did he survive you dickheads i want the deleted scene where you just see him floating across oceans and oceans where he lands up on the shore of that place well he didn't actually yeah exactly he just floated to the caribbean he didn't actually (laughs) message in the bottle just eventually winding up he he, he bumped into tom hanks on that island from castaway Uh, wilson he's a screw he's bond's got his little volleyball he's named ronson now (laughs) (laughs) wilson saved james bond there we go we've discovered it that's how he survived all right, this is quickly turning into Fear Eyes Only. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. The when I saw this again, I was immediately thrilled by we have a big pre-title scene. But again, going back to how this is embracing classic Bond a little bit more, I mentioned uh, I think in our Spectre song uh, reaction episode, or even the Spectre reaction episode, that for the first time in you know who knows how many movies, I didn't hear the theme song before the movie came out. I wanted to be surprised, and I didn't really have high expectations either. You know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I had heard, oh, it's like a classic Bond song or whatever. But talking just on the song first, uh, walking away from this movie, there were two things I walked away from saying, this is the greatest thing in Bond history. And again, I don't know if it really stands up as much now. We'll find out in a few months. But as soon as I heard this song in the movie, my immediate reaction was, that was the greatest Bond song I have ever heard. Um, and I think there could be arguments made for some of the other ones, but it's just so classic Bond, and it's so epic. And mixing with the the title sequence, I mean, the the Quantum of Solace title sequence really, especially on the rewatch, we realize how bad everything was in it. Uh, this one's fantastic, and you know we got graves, there's dragons, there's all these mirrors, and then best of all, we find what Bond was shooting at in the sand dunes because. All of the shadow, shadows in the sand is what he's shooting at. So in the Quantum of Solace, he's aiming at all the sand dunes. 
And then I realized in watching this that there's shadows in the sand and Bond's shooting at this. So it's almost a semi-answer to the ridiculous title sequences of Quantum of Solace. So I love the, the title sequence here, but even more so, I love the song. And I, I have that birdie think... question got answered. <laughs> <laughs> the sand dunes. Gets everywhere. <laughs> really lifted a weight off my shoulders. Yes. Yes, so, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Move on. No, I clearly did too. Uh. Well, are we talking about... Oh, I thought you had more to add. Um, yeah, I, I, I love... <laughs> we haven't really it... ever done this in a while, have we? <laughs> Is that all you were talking about, the song and the title secrets, Colin? Well, yeah, that's the next section for us to cover in this episode. But you only wanted to talk about Sanju? Did nothing else about it? Well, I said graves, dragons... <laughs> Like, All what right. else do you want me to cover? <laughs> Trying to keep the episode time down here, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, yeah, I really love it, too. Um, I'm not really an Adele fan, but if the film wasn't entirely classic like I hoped it would be for the 50th anniversary, this was definitely a classic Bond theme, a huge throwback to some of the ones of the past. Um it's catchy, it's deep and mysterious, it's great. Um, I really like it. And even the lyrics, like, Skyfall is where we start and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's basically telling you uh, what Skyfall is in a way, because um, we forget that that was a mystery at one point. Um, and the title sequence is amazing. There's a bit of everything there. I swear there's some Man with the Golden Gun references in there, and there's a lot going on. Um I love uh, where it says Judy Dench's M, and then it does a quick zoom in into a grave, which uh, <laughs> is not a reference to Christoph Graves. It is a reference to Ronson. Um, no, if, <laughs> if you're really attentive, maybe you could have put two and two together when it says Judy Dench's M, zoom to a grave. But and then the other one was it says at Skyfall, and it's showing the house. Like they're basically telling us, but we're just not. Uh, intelligent enough to figure it out i guess um but it's amazing i love the bleeding to the title sequence as well when bond's in the water and he falls and he's just falling through into the water it's amazing um so i love both i don't know if skyfall is my favorite bond theme or even top five it's definitely top 10 because it just captures everything that a bond theme should be Unfortunately, that trend will not continue in the next film, but uh, let's enjoy it while it lasts. And the title sequence, just so much going on. We could talk about that for two hours, but it's amazing. I went into this film absolutely dreading this song because I fucking hate Adele. Uh, so as soon as I heard that she was singing the song, I was ready to give up. I was like, fuck that shit. I am not touching this. I hate her guts. But... I did hear it before it came out, and similar to the film, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just fell in love with this song. I think it is just an absolutely incredible song. It gives just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Um, I wish I could sing this song, um, which I'm not going to try, but... Um, it's it's great. I mean, I would put this top 10 easily. Uh, I don't know about top five, because you know my top five is going to be fucked up anyway. But um, it's... <laughs> That's one way to put it. It's, it's just such an epic song. And when Noah and I, when we went and saw old Mary sing along to this, and you knew this was going to be the final song she sings, 
or was it? Um, but I mean, it, I mean, the thing that you've also got to point out with this song, it's just done wonders again for the music of James Bond. I mean, um, you know, we obviously had uh, a stinker in Quantum. You know, Casino Royale was mildly well received. Die Another Day by Bond fans was, you know, panned. I mean, you know, commercially it was okay. And before that, you've really got to go back a long time, probably to a view to a kill, to you actually had a, a successful um, James Bond song. So I mean, this not only did it, you know, get every single person excited when it came to uh, James Bond music again. It, I mean, it was a huge hit. I mean, this obviously won the Academy Award, first James Bond song to win an Oscar, won a Golden Globe, won a Brit Award, won a Grammy Award. You know, I mean, it just won everything. Um, and, you know, it, it was just such a great song that did so well commercially, um, the charts as well. I mean, it went to number two in the UK, number eight in America. Uh, Canada went to number three, five in Australia, and more importantly, number one in Belgium. But, you know, it, it was just, it did such great things for the James Bond music. Next film, what does it do? Um, look, I'm coming around on Sam Smith. We'll get to that, Inspector. But the song, brilliant. Can't say oh. enough. The the title sequence, um, it's great. It's a lot better than Quantum. Um, but, I mean, it's, I'm not as high up on it, I think, as some people are. I'm not saying I dislike it. Uh, it's just, again, there's there's so much going on in it um, that you've kind of really got to be like, oh, there's this, oh, there's a house, oh, there's blood vessels, oh, there's a hand, there's sand again, there's eyes, no, there's I... kaleidoscope, there's dragons, there's a skull, there's another eye. And, and I, I would really like to know, does Daniel Craig deliberately put himself in title sequences? Because he's always in them. Like, you know, it's, I mean, we, we saw it with Roger Moore a couple of times. Connery was never in one, was he? Um, Brosnan was never in any, except for like a silhouette of him, but. Roger was, Moore was, but it was just a still piece. It was just the same one they used in every single fucking film. <laughs> Cardboard cutout. <laughs> but, um. This is only my third favourite Craig one, though. I like two other ones better. And yeah, look. It's not quantum. Uh, I think I'd agree. Yeah, I would put this second or third. Um, because yeah, Spectre, well, yeah, we'll get to that. But like, yeah, no, um, I don't really have all much to add. I'm the one rabbiting in this episode. Surprise, surprise. But um, yes, good. Well, again, if they're not making enough improvements already on Quantum of Solace, uh, we cut straight from the title sequence into uh, nice words on the screen that say "London MI6" in nice small print for a change, which I found refreshing. And it's uh, raining. I love the rain. Yeah, a, a good location. Uh, this whole sequence of scenes here, the first thing I really noticed, and I didn't really notice until this time, and it's probably because it's the first time I've watched it since Spectre. We've talked so much about, you know, how does Spectre impact this movie and everything. And I think Spectre took such a long time to set up the plot that it's really amazing that in the course of maybe five minutes here of a couple of scenes, everything is set up about the movie. We have... M basically being fired, uh, you know, her first meeting with Mallory, which uh, I'll have some interesting opinions on Mallory throughout this again, how his character, you know, you look at differently. Uh, we have the first cyber attack uh, from Silva, the think on your sins gets mentioned for the first time, the blowing up of MI6, Bond's getting lucky in Shantytown, he's got Scorpion drinking games, uh, which it, it's interesting. This was the one thing that kind of bothered me when I first saw the movie was the fact that Bond, this guy who's known for like an extravagant life and everything, that if he were to die, he would just choose to live in some shack somewhere and, you know, basically get drunk in some 
scummy bar every single night, and that's something that kind of bothered me. But I think it's it's just something different. It, it it sets this movie up as being something different, and it doesn't bother me so much anymore. But still, something I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was intentional for Bond to not be taking on typical Bond life or whatever. But then when he sees on the news that uh, there's you know this attack in London, he basically comes back, and there's the great scene between him and M where you know he's sitting in the dark and again just daniel craig plays this broken down bond better than anybody and this is the one thing that from fleming's book was never properly done you know whether it's just because you know he almost died or whatever i mean this is daniel craig's james bond throughout all the movies is that he has a drinking problem he's you know very much uh and uh, not anti-social but like he won't even talk about himself or his life i mean he's a broken down man physically and everything else and daniel craig does it so well even this one scene where you look at how bloodshot his eyes are you know when she turns the lights on um there's some good humor in the scene here too you know where <laughs> she's talking about you better have a shower first and he's asking to go home and she's like no we sold your apartment he's like well i'll find a hotel she's like we're well, bloody well not sleeping here <laughs> there's so much good humor why not your husband's dead there's room in the bed <laughs> yeah, and come on we established this during Bro- brosnan's era bond and m had a bunch of drunken nights together so <laughs> why is she turning him down all of a sudden i would uh, watch that sex tape oh <laughs> I would film that sex Bond, tape. Bond and M in a public movie theater. Uh, <laughs> call back to the book episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, these yeah, things are basically just setting up the plot, but there is something here that's very unique. I mean, we're seeing things we haven't seen from Bond before. We're seeing what Bond's life would be like if he wasn't an agent or if he was in hiding. You know, we're seeing M being fired. Like, this is the first time where really there have been mentions of it and oh, sad to say this, mentions of it and Die Another Day and others, hey, hey. but the fact that they're kind of bringing this into modern times and showing that, you know, espionage it does change in everything. And especially with this whole thing of the, the thing about the, the, the leak with Patrice and the, the list or whatever, that M's job would be in jeopardy. I mean, this is really elevating bond into a modern age. And I, I actually really like this whole sequence of scenes, even though it basically is just there to set up the plot. Um, do we know how long it's been? Did we establish that? Oh, not five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we would just, I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure there was a scene at some point where it mentioned, you know, some type of gap in time, but I w- it would have to be at least a month or two. But it can't be too long because she is writing the obituary. Like, how long do they wait? Well, until they could declassify that he died, maybe. Well, how do they do that? His body? I don't know. When they, when they don't find his body floating on some... You know, Turkish River? Um, yeah, it's kind of... I don't understand why he doesn't go back to London. Like, Well, they, they say that in the, the scene... I'm pretty sure it's a scene with Mallory. Somebody is actually explaining it throughout this movie. They explain about why somebody who does this for a living would want it. Yeah, it was Mallory, where he's even talking to Bond later, and he's like, you know, it's natural somebody would want to get out of uh, a life yeah, like this. It's an easy escape. Yeah. Yeah, but then he comes back, so clearly he was always going to come back eventually. Like, why would that stop him from coming back? Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a bit off. 
But I do like all the Bond scenes of him just chilling out, drinking his Heineken in whatever island he's on. Um, (laughs) Don't imagine James Bond as a Heineken drinker, uh, but whatever. Um, So the return is a bit off for me, I think. Oh, he just saw that, so now he's coming back. But I definitely do like... Can we just give a shout-out right now for Judy Dench's performance in this film? She gives the best performance of the film and a performance of a lifetime, I think. It's her best M performance. Um, and just, it's brilliant. Um, I guess I don't want to go... There's lots you can talk about. It's all little scenes. But I'm just curious about the Mallory character because, I don't know... I'm sure we'll talk about him more in depth, but what did you guys... Like, did you guys even think anything? I was just... I guess I'm trying to channel my inner self from when I first watched the film, but I think I was just like, all right, they've got this famous guy, he's guest-starring as a bureaucratic kind of knob, and he's just here to to progress the story of, is M going to be fired? But of course she's not, because it's M. I didn't even really think much of it at all, really. Um... Uh... Yeah, I just thought of him as the guy who had sex with a Qantas flight attendant, and I'm like, what's he doing in the film? <laughs> How many and times have you told that story on this podcast? A whole lot more than probably would need to be mentioned, but I'm still going to keep doing it. And also the fact that um, he was still trying to kill Harry Potter at that point. So Actually, no, he had he, he died by that point, hadn't he? Spoiler alert, Voldemort dies. But anyway, does he die? No, I don't like Harry Potter. I can't remember. Does Voldemort die? He does, doesn't he? I've never seen it. I don't know. <laughs> Double on seven, Harry Potter fans. <laughs> he has to die. Of course he dies. As, as if Voldemort sure. would die. Ray finds is like Sean Bean. He dies in everything, right? <laughs> Not Mallory! Not yet in <laughs> James Bond. Um, <laughs> yes. um, I think I was actually thinking... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I had finished. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... I was thinking about this. <laughs> and and he's yelled because he's still thinking about Harry Potter here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was actually thinking about this when we were watching, because I said I have a lot of different opinions on Mallory watching it differently this time, and I remember, you know, knowing that there was a cue going into this movie, and there were all the rumors of that Eve was Money Penny, but of course they were denying it. But strangely enough, I don't remember there being a lot of talk about whether Ray Fiennes would be the new M, even. Yeah, so I have no recollection of that. She's M. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people knew this was going to be Judy Dench's last... Like, whether they knew she was going to die or not, they knew this is going to be Judy Dench's last movie. Oh, I So it should have been an assumption. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, again, rumored, but it was like a strong rumor. It was her last movie. So it should have been an assumption that he's going to come in here. But maybe they just did such a good job with this character being the opposite, you know, being kind of the antagonist to M that it doesn't really occur to you. Yeah unlike uh, C and Blofeld and all those <laughs> other huge surprises we had. After. <laughs> um, What's the purpose of the Scorpion game? To see if he'd get bit by the Scorpion before he finishes his drink. <laughs> if he dies, they win. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. <laughs> so, just quickly, um, Harry then reveals himself and explains to Voldemort <laughs> that Draco became the oh. true master of the Elder Wand and disarmed Dumbledore. Spoiler. Harry, in turn, 
the won the wand's allegiance, then took Draco's wand. Voldemort, nonetheless, casts a killing curse with the Elder Wand while Harry uses a disarming charm with Draco's, but the Elder Wand refuses to kill its master and spell, rebounds on Voldemort, who, with all his Horcruxes destroyed, finally dies. Uh, so Are I'm, you reading that out of a Harry Potter book? Have you known how to read the whole time and you've been lying to us? <laughs> yes, he I just, only reads Harry Potter. Because <laughs> it's got little words. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I think all what, these... like whore and crux? <laughs> You said it. You said it. Um, so, anyway, um, all these scenes are great. I, I love the dog, the little dog that will play a factor into... Um, the, what is it called? The little bulldoggy thing? Ronce. Ronce. <laughs> <laughs> That's a name. Um, three months have passed. I've written here three months have passed. So, obviously, there is a scene there that... Um, does that sets it up apparently um i liked when is it M who says i've been summoned to the headmaster's office or something like that um that was harry potter (laughs) whatever (laughs) getting your lines crossed out (laughs) i'm reading my notes shut up Uh, (laughs) i love the whole the bit where it gets hacked and that thing comes up with the god save our queen and it's like think on your sins and little like mouth thing or whatever and then um judy dench pulls out like don't you recognize the car or whatever and like pulls on a fool like don't you know who i am and I always see this now, knowing what happens in Spectre, and that explosion, I mean, it's a big explosion, it's bigger than the explosion in the world is not enough, don't get me wrong, but I mean, is that an explosion that really warrants that building to be destroyed? I don't think it is, surely. I mean, that's like on the top floor, not on the bottom floor, but... How did they know it was going to be an explosion when they were stopping M from getting in there? I have no idea. And <laughs> who are the eight people who die? Like, was that Ronson's... Ronson! Secretary. His wife was visiting to clear the papers about his <laughs> death. She was picking up his, his effects, and she died the explosion. It's a tragic story, Ronson. It's a Ronson family. Um, so, anyway, where, he, where is Bond? Do we know what country Bond is in when he's just getting laid with random... Isthmus. Isthmus. Um, can I just point out, you mentioned the Heineken. That caused such an uproar. Bond drinking a beer. Like, are we going to point that out? That was That pissed a lot of people off, and it kind of pissed pisses me off too. I'm there with you. Like, well, it doesn't piss me off. It pisses me off that it's Heineken. But but like it was honestly just product placement. You know they yeah. paid to be featured in the movie. But again, kind of Colin, as you said, like you know this is a sophisticated guy who's like dead, so he's going off and just boning random women in Isthmus with Heinekens. Like, can you imagine Sean? I can imagine Sean Connery like chilling in Montenegro with a. A bloody Vespa drink and still, you know, being sophisticated, not like off. Give me a beer. <laughs> Give me a Vespa. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued about that scorpion drink, and um, I'm I'm calling out that that's a die another day reference to the scorpions. Um, oh. So or uh, a diamonds are forever reference. No, die another yeah. day because that means that I can play this. <laughs> Um, oh. you just play diamonds after it? No, you say that every <laughs> single time. Um, that would be a good plot twist. <laughs> one time you didn't play diamond, uh, diamond. I'm just going to start playing um, writings on the wall. But can can you imagine, <laughs> like, the news, whatever country he is in, it is the slowest fucking news service in the world. I mean, the bombs happened, like, in London, like, a day before. Bonds in the bar, and then all of a sudden it cuts to, like, breaking news. There's been a terrorist attack in London. Like, come on now. Like, whenever there's something that big happening, it's on the news in one one second, except for Isthmus, apparently. Um, so, yeah, and Bond makes his way back, and that's great. And I love the fact that he ma- he breaks into M's house again. M has a brand new place, because I don't think this is the same place in Casino Royale. Obviously, she's, like, devastated over the mysterious death of her husband, which is never explained. Um, <laughs> and- I don't think we need an explanation. 
and <laughs> such an integral character. Pretty long. I love the fact that when she walks in and she's just like, "Oh, I always wondered when you show up." Like, imagine if that was like, uh, you know, Tanner or something. Like, what? It's Tanner. Oh, well, fuck! I thought you were Bond. Um, so, anyway, yes, I. Enjoyed- Robert, is that you? I miss you so much. <laughs> I, I enjoy these scenes too. They are good. Yeah, just to touch on the whole Bond, what Bond drinks thing. Um, I think it's been firmly established. Daniel Craig's Bond is a borderline alcoholic. I wouldn't be surprised in a future movie if we saw him downing a bottle of mouthwash just because he had no money for anything else. So uh, let's put that one to rest. But Leave me alone, Muddy Petty. I'm just finishing my Listerine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so the, the new MI6 is introduced now. Which, again, another thing that I really loved in this, uh, I, th- I was never really quite sold on the whole MI6 as this big building and very public and, you know, typical office. I always kind of liked the whole Universal Exports cover thing that we had in the 60s, 70s movies. Uh, this kind of goes back to that and takes it to a completely different level. The fact they're now just in this underground base, this, you know, very... Uh, old-aged stone shelter. Um, I really like the new MI6 location. And then there's just this series that sets up the new MI6 here. Bond kind of training to get back into it is bad target practice, which, again, not only is it kind of funny, but it also is setting up, you know, again, how broken Bond is. Uh, his psychological evaluation, like that scene alone <laughs> is... that's If it were a longer scene, not that you could make it longer, but... You know, I think that's a nearly Hall of Fame worthy. Put longer. Butterfly. Uh, <laughs> strawberries. Eel. Pudding. Dink. <laughs> Done. Uh, but Della. I mean, there's such a good scene. Della. 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 Bronson. Mitchell. How many other things would set Bond off? That's what I have to wonder. Like, are they going to eventually run into things other than Skyfall? Was that what was the next thing on that list? Was the next thing like Oberhauser and then STD? Tiffany. STD. Gonorrhea. You. <laughs> AIDS. <laughs> you. Urinary infection or truck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's such a fun scene. I-, I love the guy, even though he only has this one scene in the movie. I love the psychologist here that's evaluating him even when you know he says uh day and bond says wasted he kind of laughs and then he's like all right let's get serious here for a second uh, the one thing about this scene though is that it's this was the trailer scene you know just as much as that train shot was the trailer scene this whole thing about skyfall was and they really promoted this movie uh as this mystery of skyfall which i think everybody assumed it was probably some mission of his that would tie to silva and really that had nothing to do with it I remember this being in all the trailers and even being in the movie. And then from this point on, I was just every single second that passed. I'm like, tell us what Skyfall is. Tell us what Skyfall is. And of course, we don't even hear about it for the longest time. But this scene was so good. And, uh, you know, this is followed by Bond basically being cleared for the uh, the mission, uh, even though he didn't pass any of the tests or anything. And uh, the new setup with Q, which this is one point where I think I won't be defending the movie. Even though I think by the time we get to Spectre, I'm probably going to be the one defending Ben Wishaw the most. The new Q scene, Mm. it's so toned down. I think they were consciously toning it down because they even make jokes about it with the whole, 
you know, a radio and a gun, you know, not exactly cutting edge technology. And he's like, well, you know, you want an exploding pen. There's your, your 50th anniversary callback. Uh, exploding pen, we don't go yeah, in for that anymore. Taking the piss out of Goldeneye. Get fucked, Sam Mendes. <laughs> like, there's just some other ones like, do you want it? A little Nelly? We don't go in for them anymore. <laughs> you want a third nipple? We don't go in for that anymore. <laughs> you don't have an invisible car? Oh, we've got one of them. <laughs> a credit card swiper door lock? Hey. <laughs> you leave that alone. A massive but- George Lazenby safe cracker? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is not the Q scene the fans were waiting for. And I do understand the different interpretation of Q, but if there's one thing that Sam Mendes wasn't comfortable with yet, I think it was embracing Q. Um, and I think that he he interprets all the characters differently. I mean, Mallory ends up being a different interpretation of M. Eve is a different different interpretation of Money Penny. You know, it's it's all the same, but it's done differently. And it's just there's nothing going on here. And Ben Wishaw seems so bored in this scene and. The whole idea about him and Bond, Q and Bond, is that they should have kind of this rapport where they're annoyed with each other. And here it's just like... There's no chemistry. There's no chemistry at all. Uh, You know, there's a couple of good lines in here. Um, I do like the gadget that he gives him with the gun in theory. Not that we see enough of it. But overall, the Q scene is kind of the low point of this movie, I think. Uh, You have to love the line. It looks like a bloody big ship. I like well, it's not Sean Connery, but I, I do like that line. Uh, of course, any time you say "bloody big," it's got to be in Sean Connery's accent. Yeah, that would be a good Sean Connery line. Though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you remember back? Like now, it's kind of a bit understated. But back when this film came out, a big selling point was, "Oh, James Bond is bringing back the gadgets." Mm-hmm. Like that—that that was missing from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. There was no cue or money penny and no gadgets. A radio <laughs> that calls in helicopters. That's the exact same size as his radio in Goldfinger, except this one needs an antenna. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's like the safe cracker where they had something in one of the earlier ones and then they upgrade to Lazenby's massive, like, twice the size of him safe cracker. Um, so that was a bit disappointing that. Yeah, the gun's kind of a cool idea. Like, you'd think, why don't they use that for everyone at MI6? Um, it's uh, Yeah, but then it's used, like, what, once? When he's fighting the people in Shanghai? Um, and then the radio that calls in the m- mysterious helicopters that were just floating a little while away. Like, it's kind of a bit of a letdown from, they're bringing back the gadgets. Um Q does have a bit of a use later on, but these ones were just like, eh. And you know my feelings on Ben Whishaw. <laughs> I'm sort of coming a little bit around, but I miss Desmond Llewellyn, and I also miss John Cleese. Um, I don't miss Augie from Never Say Never Again. No. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's no chemistry there. A bloody big ship's funny, but other than that, it's, I do like, but you've still got spots and all this stuff, but they're just, they're trying and it's failing. They get it a bit better in Spectre, but I feel like Inspector, even then, they don't really have much of a chemistry um, compared to Bond and Mallory and Bond and uh, Eve or Moneypenny. Uh, just quickly on the, the psychological thing, I love M. Bitch. That's my favourite <laughs> uh, But it, it needed to be like M, short hair, 
<laughs> yeah. M slaps people. Yeah. Like this is perfect uh, time for some more callbacks. Um, but let's yeah. at least give a shout out though to the whole murder employment part. That's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, what is it? Female provocatrix or agent yeah. provocateur? Female provocatrix. That's really good. Um, but yeah, they could have kept going on and on with it though. But why do they even bring up Skyfall though? Like. It kind of seems a bit random. Yeah. Well, when we get to a certain point, I'll reference that because there's a problem with that, I think. But anyway, um, there's that's funny because there's a point I'm thinking of where we get to later on where I think it explains it. Okay. Well, I'm not thinking. <laughs> well, <laughs> Noah's in the middle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just there's another throwback for for her eyes only. Um, the little line there yeah. was a bit. Yep. All right. Um. Eve, oh, temporary reassignment from fieldwork. I wonder why, because she's going to become a secretary. Um, I think she sucks ball. <laughs> well, I don't know if she does that or not. Maybe she does, but that's for her for her to decide. <laughs> for, but, her <laughs> for her eyes. <laughs> um, did anyone now. did anyone get a little bit excited when they're talking about Patrice and they mentioned CIA friends? I'm like Felix, and again, we never get to see him. Why do they wait? Uh, for Bond to come back to get Patrice. Surely there's other double O H. <laughs> James Bond's the only one who can do anything. <laughs> you failed this mission. We'll wait for you to fail it again, even though you failed your <laughs> test. 005 and 009 are just chilling. Who else uh, were they going to send? Ronson's dead. Eve Ronson's is no good. Dead. Mitchell's dead. Um, Mallory doesn't go in the field. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Q... Q still has spots. <laughs> the Q bit, uh, we get the you must be joking line. Um... You know, throwback potentially there. It was so much potential for a good scene there. Uh, it's just, I, I, I think I went into this not knowing that Q was in it. Like, I think that was one of the facts that I apparently didn't know. Because I remember being like, that's Q? Like, I remember seeing this movie, like, what the fuck? Like, that's Q's, like, great, 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 great grandson. Like, he's, like, 12. Um, and... It's. I mean, it's an interesting scene. Them staring at the paintings, and yep. But I mean, like, is Bond there? Does he know he's going to meet Q in a in a art gallery, or is Bond just chilling on his day off? Like, I'm going to go look at art. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just spent a good time in Isthmus sucking on a hiney and boning naked women, and now he's here. He's off. I'm <laughs> trying to be sophisticated again. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a whole much else to add on what you guys have already said. Uh, ben Wishaw, I'm sort of on the Noah page. And, oh, I mean, uh, I, he's interesting to an extent, but again, he's just the geeky, sexy, hot geek that women love and Q should be the grandpa that women want to sit on their knee and be touched inappropriately by. <laughs> oh, come on, let's be honest. Desmond Llewellyn got more action in this series than Ben yeah, Wishaw will ever get. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe later. <laughs> um, following this Bond heads to Shanghai and uh, we'll, I, I, we can kind of just group I guess all the Shanghai stuff together here there's the swimming scene which oh. <laughs> that, which is really only there the first image they released of this movie I remember it made a, it was a big deal at the time where some people were kind of offended by it. this was the one case where I guess sexualizing a man was actually made a big deal of they released the first image of daniel craig in this movie and it was just him you know with dangling his feet dangling in the pool you know his speedo or whatever and some people were like you know between casino royale and this they're sexualizing bond and it kind of created a bit of an uproar uh but uh 
all this stuff here is really just to lead up to the fight with Patrice, the revenge for Ronson. And um, that's a sequel that coming soon. Like revenge, yeah, revenge for, for Ronson. Ronson. Four. James Bond was pissed. <laughs> it was all for Ronson. Um, <laughs> I'm doing this for Ronson. You big IA motherfucker. I don't know why Vin Diesel is now here. This is all for Ronson. Um, <laughs> wow, this was have like Voldemort. It's almost like Vin Diesel was on the line right there. I was, I was, wow. Voldemort <laughs> seeks revenge for Ronson. <laughs> Uh, but I mean the the, 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 the Shanghai stuff again. This is where a very, you, you mentioned it never even really occurred to me, Ben, how little action there is in this movie. We talked about it a bit with Spectre, how there were really only the three action scenes in the movie, but that opening sequence really was the biggest action scene we have. And with this one here, I think it stands out more again because this is what Sam Mendes does really well is he makes things memorable. And this is something I think it's not really a callback, but it's kind of like spy who loved me like you know spy who loved me would have these action scenes and there was just something interesting happening in it that made it more memorable than what the action itself was you know like with the the whole pyramid stuff and the the music and the narrator in the background uh that's kind of what this scene is for me i mean we have the cool stunt not so much that it's a great stunt but the the action piece where he's hanging on to the elevator which i just have to say normally in movies where people are hanging on to an elevator it's effortless this is what it would really be like. Like they'd be getting dragged down. The it would just be painful for them to hold on. Then there's the whole you know shooting scene and the um, we see Severin for the first time. Who's gonna be such an amazing character. Uh, <laughs> such a step up from Solange and uh, whatever her name was in Quantum of Solace. Um, oh, I'm gonna have some criticism of her later. I think we all will. I'm hoping, but. The fight scene with Patrice is what's really amazing here because you don't even really notice how good the choreography is unless you watch it because this whole silhouetted fight with you know the drum music playing is just so fantastic and it's it's unlike any fight scene you've seen in Bond before and I think I've always just been so blown away just by the visual of this giant silhouette that I've never really paid attention to what was going on in the fight but the choreography is fantastic in that i just want to slow it down and watch it uh, all over again um why don't you marry I, it Colin? i want to marry the scene it's fantastic <laughs> it's so much sexier than severin you can uh, marry that and uh, ben can marry the fencing scene yeah, that's oh, right. <laughs> oh okay <laughs> um a bit of miranda <laughs> <laughs> We'll group in here. Uh, the, the, you know, this... I'm not a Korean. <laughs> Why do we keep bringing guys in the day? I thought we got away from this. this Don't like cop fights. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, let's this move film on. was seriously lacking in some Madonna. <laughs> hey, hey, Noah said that, not me. Patrice, played by Madonna. <laughs> um, Do you mind? So I see you've come undone. List... Madonna could have played King K. Shut up, Colin's talking, you'll get pissy. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. <laughs> Shh, the shut moment up. where because I'm on, like, because I'm on, like, a two or three second delay, it just gets more and more confusing <laughs> for me the longer it goes on. So you tell me when I can go next. Because I'm just, I'm just waiting, waiting for Colin Hilding's famous angry moment where he's just like, shut up, I'm talking. Shut up! <laughs> Yeah, it's the 50th anniversary. you got to get the callbacks going. <laughs> As we've always said, Canadians aren't really polite. They just 
hold it in way longer than they should, and they explode. Until they're on with two Tasmanians. I saw that episode of South Park. <laughs> so, the fight scene with Patrice, followed by the Money Penny scene, which this is the scene that becomes completely different once you know she's Money Penny and you go back and watch it over. Uh, because the first time you're seeing it, you're expecting Bond to get it on with her. And once you know she's Money Penny and you go back and watch this over again, I mean, it's a completely different dynamic. You realize that they're just completely upping the sexual chemistry of these two. It's no longer just, you know, them flirting a little or uh, giving a couple of innuendos back and forth. It was... This is like full-fledged, they're ready to bone each other, the shaving scene. And I love this scene. I don't think... I think there's so many good scenes in this movie that this isn't really a uh, Hall of Fame-worthy thing. But the scene itself is just fantastic. And it's another one of those scenes where you just can't get enough of watching it. Well, um... Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I I actually agree with you. It plays better when you know it's Money Penny because it's kind of the birth of the the Bond and Money Penny flirting and extremely heightened for the new age. Um, so it works well. How they would even fathom putting her back on with Bond is just blows my mind. Like they're seriously at a lack of agents at MI six at the moment. Like, they're all so upset about Ronson that they keep hiring the same people to do the same job that they just failed at three months ago. Literally, the two same agents are doing the same thing again. She killed him. Um, So, I don't know what... This is why uh, M was getting fired, I'm telling you. She just plays favourites with her agents and all the other ones are just sitting at home waiting to do something. Um, So... Yeah, the, it's a really good scene. There's a bit of speculation. Some people reckon they do it right there and there, and I don't think so. No. And Bond and Money Penny, that can never happen. Uh, only in Samantha Bond's cigar holding oh. dreams could that ever happen. <laughs> this is Virtual brilliant. Reality. I'm not even touching Die Another Day. You're the ones bringing it up. This is great. Uh, technically, because the cigar spent... was from World of Nothing. You spent 35 episodes bringing it up. It's kind of stuck with us now. 34. <laughs> I wasn't on the book episode. <laughs> yes, reminders again. <laughs> you even brought it um, up on that episode, so you you two have learnt well. Yeah, I uh, can't read. Wait to read Madonna's memoirs. Um, <laughs> you can come on for that one. Uh, yeah, so it's a really good. Uh, I did see on the Graham Norton show that Eve Harris, Eve Harris, <laughs> Naomi Harris. Had to practice using that old-fashioned, old-timey razor and practice it on like a balloon or something before she did it on precious Daniel Craig. Um, Which I have a question about that because I was wondering about that. I saw the same interview, and when I was watching the scene, I thought, "Did they really need to use a real razor?" Like, it doesn't look like Daniel Craig has a huge amount of stubble. They could have just covered his face in the cream and wiped it with a dull blade. Well. He, he's a method actor. He likes to go to the book. Um, he actually has sex with all the women that are on the that are in the scripts. Uh, he goes the full way, Daniel Craig. Um, he even got shot for that first scene. He, he doesn't like to fake anything. Really got his balls um, mashed. <laughs> That's why he so just wants to get rid of being Bond because he just does everything too literally. Really, really killed really... like 30 people in two films. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's got to get into his head all those murders <laughs> that he's done. <laughs> That's why that was the last straw with Christoph Waltz. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm now he's on a TV show or something like that. Uh, 
yeah, so it's a great back and forth. I'm not sure if it's Hall of Fame worthy, but it's really good. Um, and then the fight. It's a bit artsy-fartsy. Uh, that's the Sam Mendes coming into it. The Shadows. But I like it, though. I think it works. It's extremely well shot. Uh, kind of gives you a bit of a Diamonds Are Forever vibe, no? Uh, we've... What? <laughs> <laughs> Comparisons I never thought would be made? I thought it was more Moonraker when he's fighting up in the clock tower. Ah, uh, Char's back. <laughs> Play it again, Sam. I want to hear Daniel Craig do that. <laughs> Instead of punching the skyscraper, he's like, Play it again, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just thought we've Bond and Peter Frank's elevators, hand-to-hand combat. Uh, I don't know. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather me bring that up or Diamonds up, uh, die another day and Madonna again? Um, Are you asking me that? <laughs> uh, that was a question aimed at Colin, that one. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's a really good fight. Uh, they had such a, a, a hard time killing Patrice the first time. This time it's just like, all right, you're dead. Um, but whatever, it, it's artsy-fartsy, but it works. And I assume we're leaving Severin for a moment, so I like everything so far. Can we just leave it for a bit the entire slow, film? I will say. That I feel like the film goes a bit slow with, all right, let's get something going. But it all works. Uh, I want to swim in that pool. That pool looks fucking awesome. Uh, can I just point that out? <laughs> is that because Daniel Craig is in there well, with his glistening why else? Um, I said there were no nipples in this film, but clearly I want to be there with Daniel Craig with a towel. <laughs> oh, why else? <laughs> Mr. Craig. You know me too well. Mr. Craig, I've only got this face washer. Shall I dry you off? Um <laughs> But um, can we just point out James Bond in a turtleneck? Um, James Bond, the limo driver, um, chasing up. Yeah, that sweater Jeez, thing really he was wearing. <laughs> it looked like Sean Connery's golfing outfit from Goldfinger. Throwback to Goldfinger. Throwback. Oh, Arnold Palmer. <laughs> standing in the background. Some like that guy should have been in this film. Like, when they wanted Sean Connery for Kincaid, they should have got that golfer caddy guy. <laughs> Um, can I just say Shanghai looks amazing. All the, oh, the neon oh lights and just the, just the way it's shot. It's just, it's I want beautiful. I love cities. I love cityscapes and I just love it. It just, it looks incredible. So great. Um, the fight's pretty cool. Uh, the guy shooting, Patrice shooting all like the people just randomly in like the foyer and all that sort of stuff. Like who's going to come clean that up? Um, <laughs> clearly not bond um and yeah the whole um razor scene i love money penny uh, sorry eve says um oh they sent me because q's afraid of flying how the fuck does q get to austria inspector um yeah <laughs> he drove drove there drove there um and why 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 did q have to go anyway i'm sure there's an answer but well, Q went everywhere and when it was Desmond Llewellyn, but this Q's too cool to go anywhere. Can we imagine this scene playing with Ben Wishaw shaving Daniel Craig? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> it's a new age Bond. It's not my first time. Um... <laughs> that was the alternate. They, they shot both and decided to ultimately go with Naomi Harris. I just want to point out one thing, that like there are many things that I find sexy, but Louise coming in and shaving my neck, that's not sexy. <laughs> In the bath on a Friday night with Candle. Let me shave your neck. No, I want to shave my own neck. Like, that's not sexy. 
Louise, I'll shake your Am I a prude? Like, am I am I the only person that thinks that? That's not sexy. Yeah, I mean, I'd be so worried about being, like, sliced to death, like, hitting one of my arteries. Like, I'd probably also, be trembling. And, you, and your I'm heart's pumping at that point. Where he's got that old-fashioned razor from. Well, well, I'm living in an old house at the moment. But, like, I mean, he's you, your blood's pumping in a variety of arteries at that point in the heighten of sexual tension. I'm sure you, you know, you bloody... What's the... Plus, this is the woman that shot him because she missed... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trusting you with the death of James Bond when she sliced his throat up. <laughs> Can you imagine that as a scene? Like, oh, it's so. Oh, <laughs> oh get the cloth. James Bond off. will not return. Uh, Ronson Junior. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got to add. And no, they did not have sex. Get over it, people who say they did because they didn't. That's right. Ben Waterworth said you're wrong, so it must be true. He knows. <laughs> he doesn't let people shave him. Don't even shave myself. <laughs> uh, All right. So let's cover the Severin scenes together because it warrants its own section of this episode. Does it? Uh, yeah. Boo. Uh, you know, I I've had kind of a changing reaction on her too. Um, I remember when she was cast, and it was kind of an immediate reaction when you see the actress. You're like, oh yeah, she's going to be playing. You know the the tragic Bond girl character. You know you know she's going to be the one who dies halfway into the movie. Um, she just had that look about her. When I first saw it, I don't think she bothered me as much because, again, it was a bit of a throwback to the uh, Andrea Anders types characters that we've had before. But this character just goes nowhere. And I, I, I'm going to compare it to Solange a lot here because... We complained a little bit, mostly Ben, but we all kind of complained a little bit about how irrelevant Salon was in Casino Royale. But here, in in this, I mean, there's more going on with Severin's character. You know, she has more of a character there, and it's just none of it's necessary. I just don't get it at all, but I'll, I'll ramble more about that in a little bit. Basically, the, you talked about how the Shanghai scene looked amazing, uh you know, in this. And we should also mention, I mean, a lot of people get down, this is getting maybe a little bit too technical, a lot of people get down on, you know, filming digitally versus filming on film. Um, Spectre, or, or should I say Skyfall? <laughs> Skyfall was the first Bond movie that filmed digitally, and they actually went back to filming on film for Spectre, I believe, but I'll argue that these scenes look better, like Shanghai and Macau introductions look better than anything we see in Spectre. Um, I, I love the, the, the just this location. You have the fireworks going on in the background and Bond entering on a boat. Like again, this is something where they are bringing a little bit of the classic Bond back. We have these great grand introductions to these locations, and even the location itself. I mean, we have a casino and it looks completely different. Uh, I love the opening shot they have here in the casino, which is kind of a bit of a precursor to what Sam Mendes does with the opening of Spectre with the one shot falling around a casino and i just love that you know the earpiece is fading in and out as eve comes closer to bond and everything uh really great introduction here and maybe i'm going to be the bigger fan of this casino sequence here but i just love the location and you know bond cashing in the chip and just how suspiciously they look at him and then the this komodo dragon part i'll get that out of the way before Ugh. i go on my severin rant here it does not look so great. It looked great when I saw it in an IMAX theater, but when you see it on here, it, it looks painfully CGI. 
I can forgive it though, just because it's such a great moment. It's such a live and let die moment. Again, we're finding these callbacks. I think this live and let die moment where you know there's Komodo dragons in there, and then the vi- villain because the gun doesn't fire, he gets eaten by it. I mean, I love the whole escape scene, and it's very over the top, um, and it's very much using the environment, something the classic Bond movies used to do. Uh, so that's really the height of this whole middle section of the movie. Again, very small action scene. I think I'm really realizing what you're saying, Ben. Uh, but but I think the, how well they are staged makes up for it. So let me get on to Severin Rant now. Because um, we have <laughs> basically her only two scenes in the movie here. We have her scene meeting Bond. Mm. And we have the boat scene where she gets it on with Bond. Uh, which, unfortunately, because of the condensation building up in the shower, there were no nipples, which I'm sure Ben was disappointed with. Couldn't say he's at all. <laughs> trust him he looked <laughs> slow-mo this is why here's the reason why severin doesn't work they're making such a point to give her such an elaborate character you know she's basically uh i don't know if you want to call her prostitute call girl she's in the sex trade you know basically against her will is the impression you get from as being a young child they give us a very elaborate backstory and in the scene with Bond, you know, she's supposed to be afraid of Silva, but the the, the actress just doesn't convey any real fear there. It doesn't work for me. And then she just agrees to take Bond, and it doesn't make any sense at all. And I think when you have the character of Solange, you, you kind of, maybe not like to the extent of Andrea Anders, you feel sorry for her, but you kind of identify this innocent girl as killed just for helping Bond a little bit. But with Solange, I mean, she's basically been working with this villain for, what, the last 20 years or whatever? And she knows how dangerous he, he is. And then she takes Bond to him, which I'm jumping the gun on the scene that's coming later on. But there's just nothing believable. This is the plot hole for the movie for me, why she would help him in the first place. And with such an elaborate backstory, there was so much they could have done to make you actually care about this character when she dies. But there's only two scenes. It's the most wasted opportunity, and the actress just doesn't pull it off. I don't think I can blame the fact that it's only two scenes because there are plenty of Bond girls who've had only two scenes, like Solange is one of them, where it's a little bit more effective and just there's nothing about this character that works. This is probably my least favorite secondary Bond girl we've had in a long time. Um, Yeah, my seven rant goes much the same as your seven rant. I think you pretty much covered it. She sucks. Um, I actually thought that she was the main Bond girl going in just because I avoided a lot of things about this film and all I read was, I, I don't even know the actress's name, there goes me for my trivia, but um, all I read was blah, blah, blah. Bernice Limalo. Uh, the esteemed Bernice Limalo. Uh, you're <laughs> getting there, man. You're getting there. Good job. Just that Harry Potter is paying out. off. Sound out your words, Ben. You'll get there. She was in Harry a French e- comedy with Sophie or Marceau. Voldemort. Oh, Blue is the Lesbian Room, the series. The French... Oh, that's where it was French. Never mind. Hey, she was in <laughs> 5 to 7. Uh, not as so good that as 5 to 6. Is that sequel to 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton? <laughs> and she's about to be in a 2016 film called Weightless. Starring Christian... Oh, Natalie Portman's in it. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm interested all of a sudden. Benicio Del Toro. Honeymoon! Yeah, tons of Bond connections here. Um, oh, Ryan Gosling. Oh. 
Val Kilmer. Ooh, he's still alive. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> Batman. We've got two Batmans in this movie, Val Kilmer and Christian Bale. I'm starting to get sidetracked in your comedy or no. I'm looking at this cast, and this cast looks amazing. I want to watch this movie. You've got two Batmans. You've got Padme. You've got Ryan Gosling. Um, <laughs> and Severin. <laughs> Just to top it off. Uh, yeah, she sucks. Um, you thought Monica Bellucci was... Uh, 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 underused. Wait until you see Severin. I she's just uh, it annoys me because that's one of my issues with this film. And I know it's no one else's issue but mine, but it annoys me that there was no proper Bond girl in this film because it was the fiftieth anniversary. So all right, we're getting back. This is the celebration of Bond, and it was kind of iffy. It was like Eve is the Bond girl, and now it's Severin, and now it's M, and now it's Mallory. Like there was just now all over the shop. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what happens in what was it? Tokyo? Is that what? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to call back from Russian with love, but I screwed it up. Um, but um, yeah, it's just it does not work. I I wish there was a proper main Bond girl, um, and she's just annoying. They just needed someone for Bond to bone, someone who's attractive, and someone to lead him to the villain. Other than that, she serves no purpose. Um, and not much else to add, but I do like that the casino is kind of almost an indirect uh, reference to Casino Royale. What was the guy's name uh, at the beginning of Casino Royale in sheep. Madagascar? No. <laughs> like, the guy working with Bond. Oh, I, the earpiece part. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. missed that. It's kind of, Don't yeah. Don't touch your ear, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an, 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 an indirect reference, or maybe it is a direct well, reference. Very direct, I think. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, was it intentional? Right I'm not sure. But Royale. I do like, yes, but <laughs> I do like that <laughs> he says to Muddy Penny, don't touch your, uh, don't put your hand up to your ear. I'm like, hey, that's like with Mitchell. Was it Mitchell? I don't think it was no. Mitchell. No, it wasn't. Mit- Mitchell was, yeah. Bond just has a We're fear of people touching their ears. Yeah, but exactly. I, it was that. like he's learning from his past mistakes. Well, not his past mistakes, but he's learning from other people's past mistakes and using it. So I really like that line too. Um, Severin can... Severin can what? I said, Severin sucks. But then I said Severin can suck. I'm like, well... It's a bit inappropriate. She was a child sex slave person, so... Um, child sex slave? What they oh, say? 12 that? years old. Well, that's not exactly an adult. I mean, if, if you said 13-year-old sex slave, you would say teenage. Exactly, 12 child. Is she like Dolly or...? <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, now, <laughs> it, yeah, Macau's beautifully shot. Um, I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, Colin, about like the elaborate entrance, but... Bond standing pompously... Carter, there you go, thank you. Bond standing pompously on a boat with fireworks going off behind him. Like, (laughs) just... That's fantastic. It's shot well. It's shot well, but is that how everyone enters a casino in Macau? Like, sorry, sir, you must stand on this boat and look like a pompous prick while we put fireworks (laughs) behind you. Um, (laughs) Like... And he walks in, da 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 There's probably Komodo dragons swimming in the water ready to eat them. <laughs> Can I also just point Oh, out- I didn't talk about the... Oh, sorry. They sucked. My least favourite part of the entire movie. I hate the fucking Komodo dragon. <laughs> I just want to point out... Would it have the- been done for real? Would you hate it, though? Sorry to interrupt, Ben. No, but- it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> if it was what? 
<laughs> if, it, if, if it wasn't bad CGI, would you like it more? Because I think it's a fun yes. scene. Yeah. I would so like it's it just the CGI more. that bothers you. Yeah, because it's Bond, and it just gives me bad memories of the surfing kaiser. <laughs> well, it shouldn't the overriding good memory of the, the crocodiles be but the crocodiles weren't CGI. They were real <laughs> Well, crocodiles. I know that, but you have, you're basically saying... I want a real Komodo dragon. Really <laughs> you killing You want a real someone. man to get eaten by a real Komodo it, dragon. It really this took is... me out of it in the, in the title sequence when those dragons flew past and they weren't real dragons. <laughs> I just, I'm just picturing now Komodo dragons surfing on a uh, melted <laughs> ice cap. <Yeah. laughs> and some of these did like, you know how they do like the Star Wars trailer recut as George Lucas. Some of these do edit in the Komodo dragons into all the different Bond films, like just in the background, like the George Lucas edit with Komodo dragons. Um, I just want to point out with that casino though, what, what casino... Or what, what building has a health and safety record where you've got a pit below, like, an entrance <laughs> with animals that can kill you? Well, they didn't know the animals were there because they added them in. Well, I don't know if you've been to Crown Casino, but I hate it when I walk through the doors and there's a, <laughs> there's a pit below me of venomous <laughs> tiger snakes <laughs> ready to kill me if I trip and fall on a drunken night out at James Packer's Casino. Um, <laughs> just, I hate that. Um... But yeah, like, I mean, I like the whole kind of scene when, like, Bond and Eve are walking around and they're talking to each other and then they walk past each other and all oh, that's kind of cool and he's got the chip. But yeah, I'm with you. This whole thing is just the setup for this. It's like Bond has to have a chip. He gets a lot of money. Here comes Severin walking up and Bond's just like, oh, can I meet your boss? Okay. Um, <laughs> like, okay, like, I wish I was that attractive that I could just literally walk up to anybody and be like, can I do this? Of course you can. And then let's... Well, have you tried it? Let's let's not ignore the fact that this is a woman who was sold into the sex industry as a 12-year-old. She's had a torturous life. Like, her entire life has basically been passed around and used as an object. And she's then been taken advantage of by James Bond in a shower. So, <laughs> James Bond is a prick at this moment. Can I just point that out? Um, but other than that, I have nothing else to add. Uh, the dragons, um, yes, uh, I want to see them surfing on a melted ice cap. Uh, we're going to cover this next part again in one section. Um, Silva's Island. This is where the movie really takes off. Uh, everything here, I, I want to make a quick comment just on the score here, because this is the first time David Arnold hasn't been involved in the music in so long, and that was because Sam Mendes regular composer Thomas Newman's doing this, who was kind of odd because, again, having heard a lot of the soundtracks to other, you know, um, Sam Mendes movies that Thomas Newman had done, like Jarhead and uh, everything, it does not sound like Bond at all, but he creates something that's very different here that sounds epic, and this is something that's kind of been missing for years even with the David Arnold as good as he was, but like the music that's playing in the introduction of Silva's Island is amazing. So many of the music cues in this are just fantastic. But we get the quick brief shot of him activating his radio, which for whatever reason, when I first saw this movie, I didn't even catch that. So when the radio thing came up later on, it was kind of a surprise, but you do have to wonder why they weren't searching him there, but let's forget the plot holes here. Uh, Silva's Island as a location a throwback again to classic Bond, you know, this is another moment where I think I'm going to make the argument that they were embracing classic Bond more here. We have this ridiculously over-the-top location and this ridiculously over-the-top uh, 
concept for where the villain's lair is. I mean, when was the last time we had anything like this? Like, I'm, we could say, like, the giant satellite dish that raised out of the ground in Goldeneye. I think that probably would be it. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, if that's if that's a... Yeah, I guess that was a location in the movie. But, I mean, this tops that, surely. Oh, I think this definitely. tops Goldeneye, too. This is, like, Atlantis-worthy location, you know? Um, and... Uh, I always wondered when I saw this, you know, whether they did this for real. It was such an imaginative concept, but apparently this is a real island that really was deserted and they, you know, were got the okay to film there. Um, it looks, fa it looks like something that's like so ancient almost. We have like the collapsed statue and everything, but you know, not to be outdone just the location of the island, but the room where Bond meets Silva for the first time again, like, we're back to classic Bond sets here. You know, we had a little bit of it, I think, with the the end location for Quantum of Solace. Um, Casino Royale was very down-to-earth, real world. But this is, like, an incredible location. You have all these computers everywhere. And uh, the way this is shot, uh, full credit again to Sam Mendes, he knows how to make an introduction. Uh, I'm going to argue this, if we ever do do a list, which I don't know if we will, but Doo -doo. I'm going to argue this is maybe <laughs> the greatest introduction, <laughs> maybe the greatest introduction that any character has had in a Bond series. You know, with Silva coming in far in the distance, and he starts his dialogue, and it just gets closer and closer throughout his entire speech. And the speech, I didn't clock it, but I mean, this has got to be at least a two to three minute speech he makes here about the rats. And when... This movie came out, there wasn't a lot of Silva in the trailers. I think they kind of waited to show more of his character when you saw the movie. And I said with the song Skyfall, that was the thing where I walked out of and people asked me, because there was all these, this talk about this is the greatest Bond movie ever, which everybody said at the time. And a lot of people asked me, is it the greatest Bond movie ever? I'm like, no, but I think that it may be the greatest Bond song, and I think it may be the greatest Bond villain. And I'm not sure at this point if I'll stand by it. I know Silva's still right at the top for me, but... I, I cannot get enough of Silva. If this one scene was all he had, I think it still blows away anything that Christoph Waltz does in Spectre and Ooh. anything that the previous two villains had. Um, this scene is iconic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> one of those villains was Dominic Green. I mean, you just mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned bloody Silva's yeah, name. Other ones, <laughs> not a whole see, lot of competition. Even, even, when, even when we have to mention only four villains. Still, he just gets mentioned. The other one. Um, <laughs> but Silver but no, doesn't I... hold a candle to Stromberg, though. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, this scene here, again, something else that Sam Mendes does really well, kind of like with the opening sequence, is having just one thing lead into the other. And instead of just having this big jumble where a lot of stuff's done in a scene, it's kind of three scenes all in one location. You know, you have... The, the part where he's entering in and then you have you know him explaining to Bond what they do there and how he can just overthrow governments and change the stock markets. And then you have all three of these could be on their own Hall of Fame worthy, but you have them together. I mean, this is... If, if I'm going to fight for this one, if I, if I have to fight for this one, I'll be disappointed in you too, but the scene with him stroking <laughs> Bond's leg. Using guilt to get your way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so disappointed in you two. I'll be very disappointed. I in will you recreate two. this scene with you two if you do not include this in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, oh, well, then you definitely won't be including it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, this is the scene that my wife and Ben Waterworth have dreamed about doing to Daniel Craig <laughs> for the longest time: <laughs> stroking his legs, stroking his chest, rubbing his uh, blitz scar. Chest. Um, 
Yeah. Chest. <laughs> Nipple. <laughs> Nipples. <laughs> Listening chest. Um, Stroking his Komodo dragon. <laughs> but, you know, this is something where I think a lot of people are divided on taking this scene too seriously where Bond says, what makes you think it's my first time? And it's caused all this debate. I hate when people debate about one-liners in Bond. I mean, even Daniel it's Craig funny. Said, yeah, even Daniel Craig has said it's a line for him to kind of show Silva that Silva's not getting in his head. But it's such a funny line. I mean, this got such enormous applause and laughter when I saw this on opening night. And still to this day, it makes me laugh every single time, just the way that Craig delivers it. It's it's just amazing. Um, moving on from that introduction scene, we have another brilliant scene with Silva. I mean, I don't think there's a bad scene with Silva in this movie. With Severin, you know, being held against her will, I guess, or chained up, um, and Bond basically doing target practice. It's kind of a callback again to how this isn't a callback to a classic movie. I'm not saying we're now calling back to Skyfall. It's the 50th anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier in the movie, where Bond's target practice was off, and even they mentioned, like Silva was mentioning his marksmanship scores, and now we have Bond being put to the test. And the scene alone would work if it was just Bond. Are you actually going to shoot her and complete your mission? Because it's what you have to do. But it works even better because you think even if Bond's trying to miss, he still could hit her. And then Silva takes a shot, which again, another one of the biggest laughs it got in the theater, whereas he just takes a quick shot. She's dead, and he goes, I win. <laughs> that got um, a laugh? Evil that Canadian. Guy, laugh. They're in hate yeah. Severin. Like, oh, she's <laughs> dead. That got a big cheer. Uh, but yeah, then there's Bond has a good line. It's like a perfectly good waste of scotch. And then the radio comes back in. Silva can do anything. Silva could have all of Gustav Graves' scenes, and he could have all of Dominic Green's scenes, and he could make it Oscar-worthy, but having scenes that are this well-written, this well-staged in such great locations, this entire Silva's Island sequence, I think this is the peak of the movie. Uh, Yeah, it really starts to heat. Like, the rest of the movie wasn't bad, but from this point onwards it just gets really good. Um, Still a few issues, but for the most part it gets really exciting. Um, I I think I, I read this a while ago now, but it only really just clicked here that Silver's not his real name, right? Um, and a nice kind of subtle uh, continuity, I guess you call it, uh, thread is Silver and Dominic Green and Mr. White. Something that I didn't really pick up on, but it's kind of cool, though. And Blowfield. And then, I didn't get that either, yeah. I know it's silver. Yeah, uh, Blowfield Blue. Or I know it. I know <laughs> it's silver with a green. The Shifra. Yeah, like it doesn't work with all Lello of them. Hello, Shifra. I have to imagine. <laughs> yeah, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Are we just saying people's names? Goldfinger. I, I get what you're saying, though. I never picked up on the silver thing, but yeah. I have to... Uh, well, I don't know if it is intentional or not, because I can't imagine that they have this master plan for silver being a part of Spectre. Um, Spectre, Spectre. But it's kind of cool, though, even if it is an accident, because um, it's not his real name. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to him later at more as a villain, but... Uh, I've, I do have issues, Inspector, with Skyfall being a part of that, 
But I'm also thinking, is it ever explained in this film, forgetting about Spectre? And it may be, because sometimes I don't pay full attention. Um, all of Silver's men. Like, he's got a lot of at like guys on his side. Is it ever explained who they are? Who are they? <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? What is this, a merry-go-round? <laughs> well, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit, I guess, closer to the end of the movie, because we've talked a lot about how Spectre impacts Skyfall, but... I don't know. I watched this movie and I don't really even think of Spectre anymore. Um, I still think that Silva just kind of has his own crew and he's an associate and these are all just his people. Yeah, but I guess it does. If there is no in-film explanation, I guess it does add to it that you can say, oh, well, they're Spectre people. Like, at least I'm not a fan of Skyfall being a part of Spectre, but that's at least one thing you could take from it. Um but the introduction is so great. Like, his little monologue, like you were talking about, is amazing. Um, talking about rats and that. Not chocolate rats, I don't think so. <laughs> but that that's really cool. Um, and you mentioned that this is a real location. Uh, did you mention where it is? Uh, because I was actually... This is in Japan. Well, it was filmed in Japan. And I was actually very close by location to where this island is. But apparently it's quite hard to get over there to visit it. Uh, says a Japanese person who could have been lying out of their asses. I'm not sure. He was the owner. He owned the island. Oh, no, hard to get to. You can't go there. (laughs) We're just throwing a lot of rumors out there that Japanese people lie a lot. (laughs) Oh, he was very shifty. Yeah, Yeah, she was lying. She didn't even tell us her name. Um, (laughs) But so that's pretty cool. Uh, I was very close. I can't say that I went here, but I could say I was near here. Um, And... Yeah, a real location. It's called Battleship Island or Hashima Island, I guess. Um, So, yeah, awesome location. Um, uh, The Isaac Newton thing with Severin is... Do you think it would be better or worse if Bond shoots Severin by accident? Is that a bit too dark? No, I like it better with Silva. Because I was thinking, like, well, they keep talking about how he's off. Like, imagine if he shot Severin. He's, oh, no, I suck now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a waste of good scotch. It's a really harsh but awesome line as well. Um, I kind of have slight issues with the radio thing because, like, it's just a lazy gadget and then all these choppers come in and it's like, uh, all right, where were they from? Like, what have they been doing? Get to, so you know. What are they? I just, I wa- <laughs> like. I understand a lot of people try to complain about this and say, well, you know, Silva would have searched him for that, but like, of course, Silva's plan was to get caught, so that part makes sense. But I just find it pretty funny how they know exactly when to come in. Like, what if Bond was in the middle of? I have another thing for you here, and all of a sudden the helicopter show up. And he's like, oh, come on! I was in the middle of delivering my line, guys. Like <laughs> they have the exact right time to show up. And there was another rat. <laughs> no. <laughs> or I'm going to tell you my whole plan. What? I can't hear you over the choppers. Or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no issue with Silver not searching him. I mean, Silver did a lot of searching around Bond's crotch, so um, <laughs> he he was preoccupied. But it just kind of, I don't know, there's something a bit cheesy about it where he has that gadget and then all these choppers just fly in. It's like, 
this secret lair and then they can just fly in like that. I don't know, maybe I'm complaining too much. But it's a great first introduction to Silver, who we'll talk about, but he is an amazing villain, though. Not one of my favourites, but so good, though. Did, did we miss the bit where M's at a computer and seeing the YouTube clip of the people getting killed, or did did I... Yeah, I re- yeah I but do we have to talk about that? Well, I guess we're talking about what happens in the movie, so I'm kind of guessing that's part of it, but whatever. Um, Touche? Touche? <laughs> um, yeah, one hour, ten minutes and thirty-nine seconds until we get to meet the main villain of James Bond's uh, 50th anniversary Skyfall. Um, and they do it beautifully, I agree. It's a great elongated scene and the speech and all that sort of stuff and the whole bit with the whole oh who says this is my first time i remember seeing the movies like oh what the fuck um <laughs> <laughs> what is this about to happen in the- <laughs> i think silver was about to go down on him for a second there but it's 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 <laughs> like i mean i i did actually kind of come into that knowing something's going to happen because i remember that like reading something like oh we have a gay bond villain you know or like at least bisexual or something like that which is, i mean it's, it's it's interesting i guess and you know the whole um you know, who says it's my first time thing. I mean, that's hilarious. Like, again, do people actually take that seriously? I mean, so what if it is serious either? Like, good on him. You know, he's probably young one day, like, with a friend. I feel like James Bond uh, <laughs> would do anything. He's a military man. We know what they're all about. <laughs> he's in the Navy. In, <laughs> in the Navy. <laughs> he was in the Navy. Come on now. <laughs> he was the... Uh, the sailor in what? What is it? The YMCA. Village people. <laughs> Village people. That was Daniel Craig. Hello, to all Bond. our naval officers who served us uh, well. Uh, thank you for your service, men and women of the navy. Um, <laughs> men and men of the navy. Uh, I love when they're walking through those abandoned streets and you got that music playing. I just think that's kind the of the French song. Yeah, uh, it's really, really <laughs> creepy. Um, and yeah, I love the waste of bloody good scotch. And then I, I, I have screwed up with that kill count, by the way. I rewound it and rewound it because I'm watching it on a tiny little fucking TV screen now. It's like really hard to work it out. Um, and yeah, I don't have a whole much more to add really than you guys have said. I, it doesn't bother me about the whole searching. I mean, what bothers me more is the fact that we've got to try and believe that this whole thing is a plan for Silver to get captured. That's the bit that kind of is like, Okay, so he knew that Bond was going to meet the chick. He knew that Bond was going to get there. He knew that he was going to call the helicopters in. He knew that he was going to be at this room at the exact time. Uh, that's more of what I well, have I've, an issue I've with. I've heard people use that argument before, but did he knew, know that? I've kind of just assumed, well, it's happening now. But now's it's on the, the plan. Exact I'm going to go day. along with it. It's on the exact day that M is in a hearing. That's my point. Like, kind of coincidental. But we'll get to that in just a second. But other than that, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, this is... So much of this is Hall of Fame worthy. It's a fantastic introduction. I'm there everywhere with Silver. I think he's a top five villain easily. Um, and, yeah, he. I agree with Colin that every scene he's in, I think there's one bad scene of Silver in this entire film. Yeah, there's more Silver. I mean, it's it's interesting that we you mentioned how long it takes for Silver to get introduced in the movie because I think that may be even longer than it takes for Blofeld, I mean, even if you don't count the boardroom scene, before Blofeld becomes part of the plot, it may be even longer in Skyfall. But I feel like he probably has less scenes and maybe less screen time than even Lashifer Green. But I just feel like of all the villains, Silva dominates this movie and you walk away from it feeling like he's almost the main character. And I think that's just how good Javier Bardem is and what he made out of this character. And I know a lot of the little quirks were Javier Bardem's idea 
bleaching his hair blonde and his eye, bleaching his eyebrows blonde was an idea that Javier Bardem apparently came up with because he wanted to have just this ridiculous look about him. Um, so, I mean, I think that he deserves a lot of credit. No matter what you're watching, Javier Bardem, and he's amazing, but I actually will put this up there with, like, No Country for Old Men as one of his best roles. Um, so the next whole section of the movie, we'll cover a lot of this in one shot because it's all kind of about Silva's escape, as you said. And Yeah, this is where the plot holes... I don't know if I want to call them plot holes, but maybe just coincidences really start to come into it. Um, he's in his little Hannibal Lecter cage, which, again, like, great sets in this movie, very classic Bond-like. Uh, we have the scene between him and M, which... One of the best things about Silva as a villain is just he has the ability to be so intimidating, so scary, and just have the most ridiculous lines. Like, the very first thing he says, this entire scheme is about killing M, and all he says is, you're shorter than I remember. I just always love that little line he gives her. Uh, and the scene between him and M... Oh, I mean, fuck it, off, Silva. Judy Dench, should have said. Yeah, well, well, you don't have your teeth anymore. Um... The scene is really important, too, because I think the whole thing about her saying, you know, take the shot earlier in the movie, it's not even something I completely, maybe subconsciously I picked up on it, but like very obvious this time in taking the notes, how tied Bond's story is in this to Silva's story, yeah. and that they were both kind of left for dead by this woman, and it was just part of her job. The difference is Bond knows it's part of the job, and Silva, either through the fact that he, you know, took the cyanide capsule and it distorted his body and probably his mind or because he just was kind of crazy in the first place he just can't get over it he's a silky little bitch <laughs> this well the whole entire revenge thing is just because he was left for dead but like everything else he did was his own fault i mean she didn't tell him to take the cyanide capsule and maybe he should check the expiration date on her or something um <laughs> But I, I really just love the deformity. And I remember I didn't hear a lot about Javier Bardem going into this movie. I remember seeing an interview with him. And again, they weren't talking about him much. But the interviewer was just kind of laughing and saying, we don't want to give it away. But there are some really creepy things about your character. And one of them has to be this whole thing when he takes out his teeth apparatus and his face just caves in. I mean, this is like a monster here. And it really helps because he has such a... Like a um, a polite demeanor throughout the movie and then just seeing this deformity even when it only comes up once i mean this is your bond deformity this is your jaws or your doctor no and it's again a complete throwback to classic movies which is why i think this is transitionary it's not as obvious as specter but i still think it's all there uh so this leads to the uh m hearing which good setup earlier in the movie with the whole firing thing that it's all about this hearing and again i said bringing it into modern times and it's all kind of intercut here which is another good thing sam mendes did you know this movie is long um but it feels like it goes such a quick pace here because we're intercutting with bonding q you know trying to decode the silva computer or whatever intercut with m's hearing intercut with silva escaping um which the escape scene again it drags on not drag i don't want to say drags on it goes a lot longer than i expected but it goes at such a good pace that it doesn't drag at all so we have all the stuff you know with bond in the 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 subway tunnel and i love the moment with uh him trying to break through the door so the door is locked and he's like put your back into it but it's like why don't you come down here and put your back into it it's like the first <laughs> real moment we have of them kind of at each other's throats which is fun and all the chase with Silva, you know, this is very much borrowed from a d the Dark Knight, I noticed. Uh, it loses some creativity points because Silva as a character and 
everything that Silva does from this point on is very reminiscent of the Dark Knight. But I mean, it's different enough that it's not a direct rip off. Like you know, maybe the the Home Alone stuff we're gonna get later on. <laughs> but the escape Silva has, I mean, again, it's just Sam Mendes building one thing on top of the other. You have the chase in the tunnels, then you have you know Silva with the train thing, which an incredible stunt so good that you don't even realize it's done for real and when you see the special features you realize they did this for real it's just spectacular and then the shootout in the hearing which i'm just going to say the lead up to that like my favorite music cue in the movie is the music that's playing as m's reading the tennyson poem and bond's running there and you have the music playing it's just building the anticipation silva's shootout uh with m and money penny and Mallory, like everybody's got a gun in this scene, it seems, and Bond's shooting the the fire extinguishers. I mean, I love this scene. We could talk forever about just one section of this whole escape scene, but I mean, all of it together is just, it, it blows my mind how good the action is in this movie, while as Ben said earlier, is not even that action heavy. It's just how they put these scenes together can i just quickly correct you um you've said that a few times i was actually noah who said that i i, I won't take credit for something noah said no. <laughs> but um what did ben's I say? not taking credit for something that he didn't just say thought i would be either. polite just thought i would be polite the first time ever ben has not taken credit for something that i said <laughs> i just i just wanted to be polite there and said it was noah who said it wasn't that ex- action heavy but um i let it slide a couple of times but i thought no no all right i'll be nice um because you wanted to take credit in case people tune out halfway through the episode now you figure <laughs> I'll own up. I've gotten credit from half of our audience. He's just getting that out there. Good PR move. So when I actually say something funny, that's when he'll take credit. <laughs> he doesn't want to take credit for the serious comment. Yeah. Bozo. Um. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bozo. <laughs> Insult of the century. <laughs> Like, You'll be stealing that one, won't you? Oh, please. Like a Tiffany case. If I could uh, steal one. Insults. <laughs> you won't take credit for the not action heavy, but you'll take Bozo. If I could steal one <laughs> Noah Groves reference, it's Bozo. Bozo. <laughs> Bozo. <laughs> Roger Moore and Octopussy. You know what? You don't even have to steal it. You can have that one. I don't want it. <laughs> oh, aren't we all just bozos at one point? <laughs> all right. Let me talk about this. That was silly. Um, <laughs> I love this uh, not that action heavy, but lots of action scene. Um I think Ben said that. Um, I really enjoy pretty much all of this chase, and it's so well cut intercut with the hearing, which the hearing isn't that exciting, but it is quite tense in its own way. Um, It's just Bond after Bond after Bond having trouble with train after train after train. Like, first he literally gets run over by a train. If he didn't shoot that door, that would have been the end. James Bond won't return. Then Q, do I get on the train? Do I get on the train? Uh, and then Q trolling and waiting for ages, and oh yeah, get on the train. Yeah, I actually noticed that too. The way he says it too, it's like, it's like I need to know, I need to know. And the train's already leaving, and he's like, Bond, get on the train. Like, <laughs> why did you pause an extra second? Oh, thanks, Q. Um, and I love when he jumps on the train. <laughs> you have that old guy. <laughs> oh, he's keen to get home. 
<laughs> and then the driver. Open, open the, the door. door. <laughs> but that is classic, like Roger Moore '70s kind of Bond, where you got someone in the background saying, "Oh, he's keen to get home." Uh, yeah, and then thank you, health and safety. Yeah, we're just checking. <laughs> Which is, again, kind of a 70s line almost. And that woman's face is... <laughs> that was a breakout role. <laughs> She's now going to be in, what was that film? Breathless or whatever? Weightless. <laughs> Weightless. <laughs> She's and Natalie Portman's the body double. from Skyfall. That's <laughs> 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 in her interview. So you played the train woman in Skyfall. How did that feel? <laughs> Deliver your famous line. <laughs> 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 um, so I love all of that. Um, just so much train nonsense here. Um, and then, of course, the train's crashing through, which is just amazing and almost scary. I get scared for the people on that train when I see that. Imagine if that happened. Um, How many of them died? Yeah, uh, Silver's kill count is incredibly high, I feel like. Um, unfortunately, it was not, or maybe fortunately, it was not the Durr woman who was driving that one. So she's <laughs> his brother. <laughs> Duh, well, the train uh, through the wall Duh. Uh, that was a dirt woman and she didn't even like get blown up she just drove it through the wall anyway <laughs> yeah, there was no, there was yes. no hole in the wall she was just like oh, had no this was planted. that was just a regular everyday occurrence for her <laughs> that Sil- was all her Silver just had a tiny little toy train like popping up to hit Bond in the head and then Silver was like oh well, that was convenient <laughs> the dirt woman just drove why through. didn't I think of that <laughs> Silver's doing a bend, taking credit for it, when really it was just the dirt woman. Oh, shall I go over here? <laughs> yeah. we, we really need to apologise for all tube drivers in London. I need I to apologize. find out who dirt woman is now. <laughs> We've already insulted the Navy. Like, how many other pro- professions are we going to burn our bridges with? In the doobie. <laughs> Assaulted, <laughs> assaulted the navy. Was assaulted chew drivers. Was assaulted women who were sold into the sex slave as children. Not to mention all the liars who are the Japanese <laughs> and all people who go do. Well, it's all right. We're nearly at the end of our film recap, so it's not like we're saying this in Goldfinger. Um, <laughs> Hannah Stokely, that duh. Hannah Stokely is known for her work on Skyfall, The Duchess, and The Falling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I just love that the life story of this girl train driver who's just oh, drive the train down. It's just hey, she played Bessie in Cranford. Leave her alone. Bessie. Um, yeah, she is a total bozo. Um, so love that woman. Um, where was I? Yeah, that's the train. I want to hear more of her life story. Um, one thing I noticed is, is, I don't know if it's either, it's either the real cops or Silver's, uh, fake cops, is just guys in the tube station with assault rifles just chilling. Like, if, when I was in London, if I saw that, I would be terrified. Why are there guys with assault rifles? I'm pretty sure the people were terrified. I mean, I don't see many of them just sort of look over the shoulder. So many people were walking casually past to get on the next train. It was like, what's happening? It's 2012. People are used to it. Uh, Well, yeah. 
Um, so, all good. All this train stuff is amazing. Um, I really do love the when she, they go to the hearing. Um, that's really Mallory's uh, defining moment. I think is him getting up and trying to protect M. They're like, "All right, this guy is good, and this guy is made of something." Um, so that a, a great Mallory moment. And I do love. M speech about this is why we need double O's and all this stuff and next film well that all goes out the window all that big Judy Dench speech she was saving up it just doesn't even count because they want to get rid of double O's anyway but yeah so much good stuff with this. a bit hokey with the plot holes and a lot of the stuff that goes on and how Silver gets from here to here to here to here is a bit like eh but it can be excused because it's awesome and the Der woman <laughs> You know what? I just have I just have an update here. Just looking through the woman's uh, filmography, she did a movie in 2005 called Chromophobia, directed by Martha Fines, the sister of Ray Fines, co-starring Ray Fines, Penelope Cruz, wife of Javier Bardem, and Kristen Scott Thomas, sister of Serena Scott Thomas, who played. Doctor Warm Flash in the world is not enough. Oh, Bond all over this woman's career. We need this the six de- six uh, degrees of separation of duh. <laughs> duh woman's very closely connected. How how much Kevin Bacon is duh woman? <laughs> six degrees of duh. Six degrees of duh. Um, like I can't even remember. What are we up to here? Um, where did we? Silver's s- whole escape. All oh, right. Okay. Um. Yeah, the whole tube um, bit where they're they're getting the they're working out that map thing that's like in um you know when he's like oh it's the it's the tube or whatever that sort of stuff and they're trying to do in all the um the decrypting and all that with Q and all that sort of stuff that's kind of cool. Um, what else did we not mention? Uh, the whole sucking out the face thing and all that sort of stuff. I like that. That's kind of cool. Um, three, th- three. What? Donna Doakley was in Skyfall. Yeah. Tom Colston, who was in Mission Impossible, with Tom Cruise, who was in A Few Good Men with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. And I just noticed that Ben changed his profile picture and nothing. <laughs> we need to put that on our post. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right now I'm looking at the duh jaws face under Noah and the duh head of Stokely face from Skyfall. And can I just point out for people who have no idea what we're talking about, generally when I never change my Skype picture or my name, but we do it whenever we record an episode. And I just had to search for that picture. <laughs> that was the defining moment of her life, old Hannah Stolfe. This is now the defining moment of Double R Seven, our discussion of Dual Lady from Skyfall. We've talked about everything over the past twenty-three recap. Now we're talking about Dual. <laughs> I can't look at the screen anymore. I'm sorry. Hannah Stokely interview coming soon. Hannah Stokely do coming soon. Hannah Dookie. Wow. We've reached the epitome of greatness. So uh, Silver escapes. Yes, so um he's gone. Yep, awesome. Um uh, so again, this is whole plan on the day that M is having a hearing. Good work. 
Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I like it when he's, yeah, when he's trying to bust through that door and um, he turns around and he's like, oh, great, a train is coming. Um, that's kind <laughs> of, you know, just the line that he has there. Um, and what else? I'm just reading through my notes. I don't really have a whole lot here to add because you've all covered it. Um, yep. <laughs> you literally covered everything. I can't say. Oh, Em mentions her late husband again. What happened to her husband? Oh. Like, what's going on there? Um, we mentioned the bit when they're escaping from the court and they drive off without Tanner. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, Tanner got ditched. <laughs> Poor- this is, hey, again, man with a golden gun throwback to, uh, um, <laughs> Bond getting driven off with the nieces. <laughs> it's like, see you later. Um,. Yeah, I, I really don't have a whole lot to add. What, what would have happened if, like, Silver just walks in there, shoots M, and he's like, oh, okay, done now, and then he just walks off. There you go. Movie over. <laughs> I mean, he's going to... Mallory could have got the job a lot sooner if he didn't protect her. He's going to kill her in, you know, about half an hour anyway, so <laughs> he could have just killed her off then. But, um, yeah, the woman is the star of this, so um, Hannah Stokely robbed of an Oscar. Um, yeah, you mentioned... Tanner <laughs> driving off without Tanner, which I tried to watch closely to see okay. if it was intentional or not, or if this was something where Tanner would be like, hey, there's guys with guns out here, wait for me! <laughs> I'd love to see what would happen right after they drive off. Do a woman just shoot Tanner. But then we Tanner. get... We really need to recut it where uh, Bond gets introduced to Moneypenny at the end, and then he goes through the padded doors and the big reveal... She's sitting on the desk. <laughs> My name's D. <laughs> D. Yeah. yeah, uh enough with D. Um, um so yeah, the the moment that we I think we all knew this was coming. This was one of the things that was heavily publicized that not only would the Aston Martin be back but the original Aston Martin would be in this movie, the, the 1964 Goldfinger car, complete with the Goldfinger gadgets, license plate, everything, was going to be in this. And this is the moment where it gets revealed, and one of the moments that, again, got applause when I saw it the first night, and I think it's played really well, especially when you have the the music, the classic guitar-plucking theme but the bond theme playing in the background i just love that and suddenly we're into kind of corny jokes again which is great where bond's got his finger on the ejector seat and they have the joke about that um you you can't i i I kind of wish i know we had inspector the the db10 which was a nice little twist but i know the car has been repaired too but wouldn't it be nice if they just did this classic throwback where bond always has the classic car and this could be his car again i mean the gadgets, I think, still hold up. I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but... Well, we'll get into that in a second. I'll talk about the gadgets in a second. Uh, but yeah, then they arrive. We finally found out where Skyfall is. And I, when, as I said earlier, when I first saw this, I kept wondering, especially when that scene came up with the Skyfall, I thought it would be revealed right then and there. And every once in a while, I kept thinking, okay, well, when are they going to tell us what Skyfall is? And finally, we see the reveal here. And it's totally not what you expect. Um, that this is his childhood home. Uh Skyfall, because it really doesn't tie to the plot, but at the same time, it's satisfying, I think, when you do find out it was a surprise, and for a second, you're like, that's it? That's what the title Skyfall is? That's what this whole movie was promoted under? And then you get, this is the first time you've really seen into James Bond life growing up, so I really like the fact that Skyfall just turned out to be something that simple. 
and the location here, I mean, it's nothing like Macau, but for just a location that's basically a farm in the middle of nowhere, I love the Skyfall location. I love this broken down old house and everything. And we get introduced to the other surprise of the movie, Kincaid, uh, a character that there was, now that we're kind of going through this and realizing how much secrecy there was with this movie, I remember it being a big deal that uh, Albert Finney was part of this movie, but it never being revealed what his character was. And when I got this on Blu-ray, I took it over to my brother's house to show it to him, and he kept asking me, it's like, well, when does Albert Finney come in? And I'm like, just wait for it. And as soon as Albert Finney's introduced here, he basically turns to me and goes, so he's Alfred, another <laughs> Dark Knight kind of figure. Is it? Kincaid is basically the nanny or the butler or whatever. He's his Alfred growing up. This was what Alfred was to Batman. That's what Kincaid was to James Bond. And I didn't even really realize it until this past time watching how much I love Kincaid. So when we eventually get down to a Bond allies, I, I hope that we can include him because he's this is he's he's I love Kincaid, especially this past time watching it. I mean, we have great lines here where he's sort of not in on the joke of who Bond is, but he doesn't care like where they're talking about uh, um, if some people are coming to kill us, we're going to kill them first. And then he's just like, all right, well, let's get started. Like It doesn't even bother him. And then the target practice scene we have where he's trying to tell Bond, give him advice, and he's like, yeah, I'll do my best, and then he hits it, and he's like, what was it you said you did again for a living? Then my favorite thing about this entire movie is the rapport between him and M, or Emma, as he thinks her name is <laughs> when she's introduced. Uh, I I know it would have been kind of gross to see, but who, <laughs> didn't want, who didn't want to see these two get it on by the end of the movie? Come on. Well, well not uh, at the end of the movie. That would have been disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Necro Bond did. moment. <laughs> Necro King K. That's what I they called him back in the day. Yeah, we've had enough of that in this series, but but yeah, I mean Kincaid and Emma, that's the great love story of this movie. And that's why I think she is a Bond girl, because she still almost gets action in this movie. Come on, we already know that she's that's widowed. That sex tape. Yeah, <laughs> sex tape of Kincaid and Emma. Um well, I'll just group in the first part of the climax here together, because, again, it, the climax is really broken up, and we have to save the end for its own thing. But this leads to the infamous Home Alone sequence, which every time I see this movie, I'm just picturing the Home Alone you know, battle plan music. Like, I, I want to I recut this movie, or somebody's bound to have done it, with the Home Alone music as they start preparing all these traps. Uh, loses a little bit of the originality points, again, I think, because of that, but... It, what comes out of it is so much fun. We'll just cover this first part, the whole shootout at the house and Bond hiding in the car. And this is what I was saying with the gadgets. I love this. You would, When I first heard the idea that the classic car would be in the movie, I thought, well, that's cool. But is it just going to be gimmicky when they throw the gadget in there and the machine guns come out? And you totally buy it. And it's, it's a fun throwback, but it's also just a great way to start off this climax and you have all of the you know, house explosions, the shootout, and eventually it leads to Silva coming in with a grand introductions. Every time Silva enters in a scene, it's so memorable. His introductions alone, if Dominic Green had these introductions, he'd be a memorable villain. Flying in on the helicopter, blasting music, it's so over the top, it's so good. And we'll kind of cap it there at the shootout in the house and the house basically exploding with Bond's line, you know, I always hated this place. Uh, a really good start to a climax, and I was never that sold on the location, but it's another thing about this movie that the more time goes by, the more I love this location and this climax. Uh, well, to go all the way back, the Aston Martin 
that was a great little touch with the traditional music as you said that was kind of your 50th anniversary thing there and i wasn't spoiled on it because i avoided a lot about this film uh so i didn't know a lot going in and it was fun to do podcast during spectre but at the same time it was great not knowing a lot going into this big film um uh, one of my favourite lines, if not my favourite from the entire film, is in the car when Bond puts his hand on the gear stick and, oh, go on then, eject me, see if I care. I love that line so much. Um, and just kind of understated, but Daniel Craig and Judy Dench's chemistry is so great as Bond and M, and this is the height of it, the height of Judy Dench's M performance and the height of M. And I'm a huge fan of Daniel Craig, Judy Dench, Bond and M. Um, so that's really great to see them together for this entire climax, pretty much. And we're really getting a new a new view of M in this uh, uh, kind of when she's in the house and she says, have I screwed up and all this stuff. It's kind of a different side of her. And he says no, but she did screw up a lot during her career as M. Um one line that I was cracking up, and I'm not sure if either of you two picked up. <laughs> We're talking about callbacks to our past episodes. When Tanner and Q are in the lab, and Mallory walks up behind them, Tanner turns around and says, It's Mallory, and Mallory says, What are you doing? No, that was. I wrote that down! I was going to bring that up! No! That was my Hulk bit! <laughs> Stealing my jokes again. Damn it! You, you bozo. I thought I was going to be hilarious. You would have loved it. You would have been like, oh, Ben, you're so funny. But no, Noah's got to steal it. Ben stealing my jokes. Fuck and you, Noah Rose. Fuck you. It was hilarious. I was rolling on the floor. And I was going to message you guys. And I'm like, oh, no, I'll wait for the episode to see if they picked up on it. <laughs> Mallory quotes the Hulk. What are you doing? <laughs> And it's just so funny because it's so perfect because he doesn't even say anything else to begin with or anything. It's just this big build-up. And his one line is, what are you doing? That famous Hulk line. It's just amazing for this 50th anniversary. I love it. Uh, I did write, I've written down the, it's at an hour 41 minutes if anyone else wants to go and see Ray Fiennes uh, quote the Hulk. Um, It was hilarious. Um and, yeah, I really like the kind of dead nature of the Scotland uh, location. It's just kind of a bit dreary, and it's like, you know, it's kind of the, almost the calm before the storm. You know, something bad's about to happen. Um, and the reveal of what Skyfall was is really cool as well because it is the 50th anniversary. So even though we didn't get a ton of references and a ton of traditional bondness, um it was kind of cool to at least see a bit of his backstory, and as you've alluded to in the past, Colin, that it's not over the top. It's not like, here's what happened to Bond, and here's this and this, but it is kind of a bit of a... Even like characters like M, we get to learn a bit more, but we get some teaser... Like, it may be the first reference of him being an orphan in the films, is it? I'm probably well, wrong. Well, Casino Royale. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But it, it's not really mentioned too much, and they mention it, and they mention his parents, and we see the graves and everything. Gustav. And we got to see... Yeah. Um, Gustav Graves! Um, <laughs> Your parents are just dead, Bond! 
<laughs> Skyfall! Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great to see a little glimpse into his past without going too overboard with it. It's not Batman Begins. It's just a little um, teaser of him, and it, it works with this kind of reboot prequel. Or, I know it's not a prequel, but, you know. Um, so that's, that's a cool reveal for what Skyfall is. Um, one thing I wish they kind of retconned is when he's talking to Kincaid and he says, oh, yeah, um, like, with Solda, a collector has bought the house. I think that's what he says. I wish they could have somehow worked it in that that was Blofeld. And I thought like, the same thing. Like, yeah, we were talking about how Inspector was so lazy. Oh, by the way, everything that I ever did, that was all connected to all those films. And that was the bare bones. They never went into detail with anything. That would have been a perfect example of, hey, Bond, I, you've come across me so many times, but I never saw you. I was the one who bought Skype. Like, not like that. Don't say it like that in a big speech like that. But somehow work it in. Well, like, like Blofeld, Blofeld. imagine Blofeld holding a gun to him and saying, I bought this from your collection, you know? Yeah. Because it's, I mean, not not to sidetrack too much, but we've all talked about whether Spectre kind of ruined Skyfall, and I felt that Skyfall still operates completely on its own, you don't even think about Spectre, but this was the one moment where I was thinking, that's a, that would be a Spectre moment. Yeah, just watching back and then saying, like, realizing, oh, holy shit, that's, that's Blofeld right there that did that. Mm-hmm. Uh operating in the shadows and i'll continue to believe it was but it would have been nice to get an official kind of thing on that because i think it works way too perfectly um because it's it is kind of it works with the narrative i don't want to talk about specter too much but of the backstory and i'm taking away like your parents are dead bond but now i'm taking away this as well even though the house pretty much blew up in the end anyway uh so yeah glad to know i wasn't the only one who picked up on that uh, pretty much the only thing I didn't... Re- Kincaid, I'm with you. I love Kincaid. He's an amazing... He's definitely an ally. He'll be in there when we rank them. Um, we had Mathis, and now i got Kincaid. A huge contrast, but they're both awesome. He's a badass. I'm um, not sure about the Judy Dedge King or the M Kincaid sex tape. I could pass on that, but... Kincaid. Yeah. <laughs> but at least we at least want to know they did get it on, though, don't we? Oh, they were bony uh, like rabbits. <laughs> yeah well um <laughs> when was the time for this like it, well it, one of the points when they were in the church before bond got there when he was under the ice they had a quickie right <laughs> unless he's dying <laughs> well that's why she wanted to get out of the way this is gonna be my last time do let me have it be with a nice strapping young scottish man silver do me one more time do me like you did in Hong Kong, Silver. <laughs> Do me like Scotland you did on Naboo. Kick <laughs> Scotland one more time, Kincaid. <laughs> there was a rumor, and I'm not sure if it's true or if it's just baloney. It's the Komodo dragons, does it? <laughs> Nothing to do with Komodo dragons or sex tapes or <laughs> Kincaid. Um, there was a rumor, and it's probably false, but there was a rumor that... Uh, Sean Connery, well, they wanted Sean Connery to play Kincaid. Not sure if it's true. I guess it makes sense, old Scottish dude. I don't know my feelings on that. I feel like that could have worked, but also could have been extremely gimmicky. I've got mixed feelings on that. But the yeah. Kincaid we have is awesome, so whatever. Well, um, 
can I just interrupt you there on that point? I'm just reading here a fact about that, um, saying that producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson originally wanted Conrad to come out of retirement to make a surprise cameo. Director, director Sam Mendes told the Huffington Post there was a definite discussion way, way early on, but I think that's problematic because to me it becomes too... It would take you out of the movie. Connery is Bond, and he's not going to come back as another character. It's like he's been there. So it was a very brief flirtation with that thought, but it was never going to happen because I thought it would distract. That was kind of like they wanted Sean Connery to play Austin Powell's father in Goldmember, and then Sean Connery was like, fuck off, I'm not doing that. So And the Komodo dragons don't take you out of it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all this time uh, Sean Connery is in Skyfall and he was the motion capture for the Komodo dragon. Because <laughs> he's right. that old looking, he's all leathery. And- <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, see the deleted scene of uh, Sean Connery in a green suit with balls crawling around <laughs> the ground pretending to be a Komodo dragon. Oh, look at me, I'm a dragon. Uh, <laughs> roar. Roar. My roar. I will um, yeah, Sean Connor is in Skyfall. It's official. Update the Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, have, you, have, you, have you finished? Is it my turn? or? Um... It is your turn. Oh, thank you, Noah. He's getting impatient here. Are you done yet? Bozo. Do one of your jokes. Um... <laughs> The Aston Martin, yes, love it. Um, I love, yeah, the go and eject me line. That is fucking fantastic. I crack up laughing every time I see that. Uh, fuck you, Noah. You stole my Ralph, 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 Ralph Fine's line. Is it Rafe or Ralph? Rafe. Rafe. <laughs> That's whatever you want. It's the person who had sex with the Qantas flight attendant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could have that joke. I, that one I'm just going to go through all this quickly because then I want to get to my point. This is this is where this is. This Every time I watch this movie, it just annoys me. Um, the fog scene is amazing because it's fog and I love fog, um, which is great. Uh, yeah, the orphan bit. Uh, the deer, the skyfall deer. Like, okay. Um, I love the line when he says to King Cade, good God, are you still alive? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is good. And yeah, a bit of family stuff. Fantastic. And then the whole Home Alone set up thing. Fantastic. Okay, this is this is what annoys me about this film. Every time I watch it, um, and like I can see what you're saying about like 50th anniversary, we've got to have a bit of Bond background there, family and that sort of stuff. This this whole Skyfall background, it, it just you can get rid of this. This doesn't have to be in the movie because what? it's. I mean, you can basically they get to the point where they're like. Emmy's getting attacked. Where are we going to go? And Bond's like, hey, let's go to my childhood home. Like, why? Why do they have to do this? Why does he have to go back to a place that he's clearly blacked out from memory? We saw that early on in the, the scene with the words when he's just like, done. Like, nah, I can't talk about it. He gets over it pretty quickly. Like, you could set this film, you could set the ending of this film anywhere. They could have said, let's go hide out in Portugal because we can track him here, or let's go to Antarctica, because he's going to track us here. Like, there is no purpose at all for them to to include Skyfall in this. This is what annoys me with it. No, I'm going to argue that big time, because here's the thing. Bond has to go completely off the grid, somewhere that he knows there's going to be nobody else around, somewhere that they could hide, but he also has to go somewhere where they can have the upper hand. And the fact that he knows this place and it has hidden tunnels and all this stuff, and also it would have, he thought, an arsenal waiting for him there, it makes complete sense that this would be the only place he'd want to go because it's out in the middle of nowhere. He knows the location. They don't. There's lots of places to hide. There's, 
you know, tunnels and the guns was what the selling feature was. So I think it makes complete sense he'd go there. But, but you could set it in the MR6 building that they do Inspector because he knows that building as well. Like, it, it's, it's... Yeah, but Silver would have the plans for that too. But, but I just think that you could set it anywhere else. It doesn't have to be his childhood home. He could be like, hey, I had sex with this woman in Italy at this building. Like, let's go back there to well, Mathis Little Well, he doesn't own island. that property. I mean, I think also he wants to go somewhere he owns. But I just, I, just, I just think you could do away with it. I see why they do it, but I just think that there is, like, it's not a vital plot point. It's just kind That's of like it's still better than James no. Bond being freaking related to Blofeld <laughs> <laughs> plus he wanted to set up two lonely old people to have a nice night of sex together <laughs> this is all about the uh, swinging night of Kincaid and Emma. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but again you've also then got to kind of like and I'm not trying to diminish Silver completely here but I mean the guy falls straight into Bond's trap I mean this is a guy who's like elaborately created this escape to make sure he's there at this point just to kill M. so surely he's got to kind of think to himself like well hang on a minute this is a bit easy to find him straight here to a place where James Bond used to own like hmm okay then like maybe there might be a trap here so uh, it just it just irks me every time I watch it it's just very forced yeah, but, but what if what if there is a trap like what's Silver gonna do oh well I failed time to go home well he doesn't fail this along. is again the, the, the overri- overlying fact of this movie is again as we said at the end of Quantum this is the only James Bond movie that I will argue that the villain actually succeeds in his plan yes okay he dies but he still succeeds in killing M that was the whole goal like his whole goal here isn't to destroy the world with a giant laser it is to kill M um, and release the names of the people which he did as well so Silver wins essentially you could say in this film um, well thanks for jumping the gun on our next segment <laughs> Once again, you're the copying me by jumping ahead of the film. <laughs> yes, we just we just need um, Kevin McAllister in this scene right about now, and the Wet Bandits to rock up, and um, we've got ourselves uh, the end of Skyfall. Before we move on to the rest of the climax, I do want to address something here, and that's the Skyfall location. <sighs> As much as I loved this movie when it first came out, the location was not something I loved. And I think Casino Royale, and I would say even at the time, I would think Quantum of Solace had bigger locations. And maybe it was something to do with the fact that it's so dark, um, which I actually have gotten over now. I mean, everything that I complained about the time, I actually like now. But as much as this has grown on me, Skyfall's location, I kind of wish that we could have had a climax, any type of climax, on Silva's Island. That's the type of location that, like, I would die to see a Bond movie end there. Uh, but overall, I mean, what are what are your guys' feelings on the Skyfall location for the climax? So I think there's a lot of fun things going on there. Like, it has the tunnels. It has this old house. It's got the, 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 the lake, the, the church. I mean, I actually really like it. I think just having it in the UK is something a bit unique. Well, at the time, it seems to be the trend nowadays. Um, but I think that was just it's a unique one, so I'm happy with it. I always think it would have been good as a big battle. They kind of have a throwaway line of why it has to be Bond and M only. But, I don't know, I'm I'm ready for another big battle in Bond, his, uh, Bond climaxes. We haven't had one for a long time. As, as a filming location, it's beautiful. I love it. I think it looks spectacular. Scotland looks amazing. Uh, my family's from Scotland, so come Scotland! But um, in terms of, the, like, I've been critical, I think, of the Craig finales. Um, you know, we had a, yeah, a, a floating building that was cool. Then we had a hotel in the desert, a, a house. 
and then London. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like super elaborate, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, I think it looks fantastic when it's like burning at night and it's kind of all the fire and just all that sort of stuff looks great. But again, I'm kind of, we know like a big epic battle at the end, you know, we, we're missing that. I mean, you know, we haven't really had one, what, since Tomorrow Never Dies, you would almost argue, wouldn't you? Like an actual one with henchmen and blowing up and all that sort of stuff, you know, so... Even that was only Bond and Waylin, or Bond and the other woman. I want a big, like, volcano battle between goodies and baddies or something. Yeah, yeah, good point, like, your armies and all that that you keep longing for. Um, But, yeah, uh, I have nothing really to add. I answered the question. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Ben's apparently on the stand right now. He's being interrogated. I've answered your question. Move on. Uh, <laughs> yes, Your Honor. Let's move on then. There is still room for double O agents. <laughs> My so the second part been. of the climax, the first part really we kind of glossed over because it is just a bunch of shooting and you know there's some cool traps in there and everything. But the second part I think is definitely my favorite part of this climax. Once Bond escapes in the, through the tunnels and everything, which again, such a great location and, and just an idea that there's these secret tunnels. And I also really just love Silva's reaction when the house blows up. Like he has this reaction, like I didn't see that coming, but also kind of appreciation. Like, hey, that was kind of clever. I like that. Like he's just such a crazy villain that he's the type of guy who would get a kick out of half of his men dying. You know, the chase across the fields, very dark, but something that Sam Mendes has done well. And, well, let's give credit to the cinematographers, too. Um, I mean, this was nominated for an Oscar for cinematography. But something that's done really well in both of those movies is filming things in very dark places, having it look almost pitch black, but looking really spectacular. Uh, the, the car chase inspector is an example of that. And this chase across the fields here, the exact same thing. Um, you can't really see, even when he's on the lake, you know, what's going on, everything there. And then... When he falls through the lake, I mean, how do you film something underwater and have it actually convey the location properly and you get everything? And I love that entire bit there with the fight underwater. And again, another one of my favorite music cues in the movie is in the water. This is probably, of all the newer Bond soundtracks, I'd say anything you know, post Honor Majesty's Secret Service, this is the one I can listen to over and over again and never get sick of the music. We have the... The underwater fight, which is great, and especially having the um, the flare that goes up. Uh, was there... Why am I thinking... I have brief recollection of a flare in a past Bond movie. Am I crazy, or did that happen? Um, yes, it was... In, We're just looking for callbacks It was now. in the cable car scene in A View to a Kill. <laughs> was it really? That was a joke. Um... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> there, I'm sure there was a flare at some point. Because the there wasn't a cable car scene in Damn the view that to a cable kill. car in the view <laughs> <kill>. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's a callback to one of our paths. Hashtag Ben's car stupid car. reference that didn't happen. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, moving on. Fight scene, I think, is great. And then the final part in the, the chapel. It's so good, but when you watch this, you again realize how little is really going on, going back to what Noah said earlier on in the episode, but not a lot of action. <laughs> it plays so well, though. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I always think, I think because maybe they didn't use Kincaid enough on the end, like they should have had some type of final scene, I always assume he's dead at this point because he's just sort of standing there, which kind of bothers me. But the way Silva plays this, where he comes in and he sees that M's 
you know, bleeding. And he's like, you're hurt, you're hurt. He's all concerned. I mean, this is what makes Silva such a brilliant villain. He's completely uh, going contradictory to what his entire plan is, is that he's concerned for this lady and or he's just messing with her the whole time. Either way, it's hilarious. And it's such a dramatic scene. And I, at one point, was kind of bothered by this. As much as I love Judy Dench's M, and I feel she earns the the place she has as, you know, the iconic Bond boss, you know, or, or psychic or anything, or supporting character. At the time, it kind of bothered me that she was given so much of a send-off here when nobody else really had including some of the actors who played Bond. But now, I mean, it just seems so appropriate because it works so well in the story, and that's something that plays better every time I watch this movie. The story about, you know, M's uh, sins catching up with her and, you know, Silva needing revenge. And like you said, I'll let you guys cover it more because you've talked about it more, but the fact that Silva's plan actually does work in this movie. Um, M's death scene is so good, uh, the final showdown with Silva, it's, it's almost appropriate that it's just a really quiet scene and there's nothing really going on other than a knife in the back. So uh, we'll quickly cap it there just because I think Judy Dench needs to be more memorialized here. But uh, although I wasn't really sure at the time whether I would say um, the, the, what was the uh, drawing a blank on his name, first M. Bernard Lee. Bernard Lee, Bernard Lee yeah. Or was it uh, Gordon Dench? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was... Uh, very flip-flopping when we were watching his movies, thinking he was better, but I think I'm sold at this point that Judy Dench is the definitive M, and Ray Fiennes does such a good job, even just in the one scene at the end of this movie, selling you on being M, probably quicker than even Judy Dench sold on being M, but I mean, I think she deserves her place now, and four years later, uh, four and a half years later, I'm more sold on her than I was at the time. Robert Brown is really the unsung hero right now. Um, poor Robert. Um, I think he is the defining M. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Sarcasm is not catching on again. <laughs> Said no one ever. Um, Cable cars. <laughs> um, it's all the bozo comments. <laughs> Robert Brown is a bozo, let's face it. Um, whatever the hell a bozo is, that, that's you and Robert Brown. Um one the kind of cool thing I noticed with Mallory and Emma being in this one is if you count uh, Admiral Hargraves, uh, like every, every M has at least had another interaction with another M, which is kind of cool. No? Um, yeah, well, I guess that's, <laughs> guess <yes>. that's cool. <laughs> oh, Fucking awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> It's breaking new grounds in It's one forty three in the morning for Noah and I. That's why the sarcasm's dying here, all right? Like <laughs> Dying with M and a knife in her back. <laughs> um, this was great because I didn't know that Judy was going after this one. Like, like I said, I avoided a lot of things with this film. And when Silver gets the knife, it's kind of like Oh well. Bond saved the day, he saved M, of course, it's M, M doesn't die, that's not a thing that happens in James Bond, he he saves her and that's it, but then he holds her in her arms and she dies, and Bond has a little tear and Kincaid's uh, getting ready to move her body to the bed, and (laughs) it's a very upsetting (laughs) moment, (laughs) one 
I just this broke new ground for Bond, and I think this is oh, and Stamp is going to be there too. But I think this is one reason why this film was like it's no hand solo but this was a huge moment though and it was kind of like wow this just gives this a defining like if any, if anything if this film was horrible um it's still got this one moment that's really going to elevate it and just give it that kind of look like wow that really happened and it was a big moment um i remember being completely blindsided by it and it was just like oh but it's Judy Dench, it's M. She's been M since 1995. And she's gone. No. And Rodson's gone too. No. Um, <laughs> and Mitchell's so, gone and too. Duh, ladies. Mitchell and Carter and Rodson and Duh. 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write the obituary for Duh as well. Um, but it's a great touching moment, uh, the final moment between Bond and M. Their relationship is great. Uh, and it's very sad, um, and just such a... It, it's in the Hall of Fame. Um, and what follows is another pretty good scene, too. So, great end to the climax. Just, wow, breaking new ground. Um, I fucking love the helicopter coming in with the boom, 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 boom. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, is that the London calling of the Skyfall? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I, I, I just kind of like it. Oh, come on. I think it's good. Um, have we not noticed... The first ever F-bomb in a James Bond film. Yeah, from M. From M. I it's, fucked this up, so didn't subtly, I? you don't notice. Like, I, I... Yeah, every time, I always forget it's in this. And so, like, when this happened again and I've written it down, I'm like, hang on a minute, really? And so, like, that's the very first F-bomb in James... And the only... Do we have one in... I did a pigeon double take as well. Like, <laughs> did she just say that? <laughs> M, M said she fucked up. Like, wow. Um... There you go. And she did, and she died. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this whole... I love the, the cinematography and the filming, just the, the fire and the shadows and then the, the ice, and then it's just... It's great, and I love Silver's line when it's like, Mother is calling or whatever it is, and um, just... It's great. We learn that, what, Bond's parents are Andrew and Monique. Um, that's cool. Um, I've written here, Old Man Does Nothing. <laughs> King K just kind of stands there. Um... And yeah, knife in the back, uh, last rat standing. Yep, and <laughs> I, I'm with you now. I had no idea that like Judy Dench was leaving, and I, I, I was as shocked as anyone in that cinema watching that, going, "No!" Um, so I was very, very sad, and it's still, it's still a sad scene. And when she says, "I got one thing right," or whatever she says there, just as she dies, it's sad. And we see James Bond cry. Um, is this the first time James Bond has Do ever we? cried? Well, doesn't he cry? Well, He's got a bit of a tear in his eye. Well, Tracy died, but he doesn't cry there, though, much. He just, it's all right. She's just having a rest. King Cave's trying to pull her body away at that moment. I was like, no, no, she's just having a rest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put her in bed. She's just having a rest. <laughs> um... Yeah, we needed that line. We needed a police officer to drive up uh, on a bike and say, are you all right? <laughs> the same it's police right. officer from the Fantasy <laughs> guy. He's like 89 or something now. That was the big secret cameo that they've been uh, hiding all this time. It's the police officer from on a Fantasy It's all right. She's just having a rest. <laughs> She'll be going soon. Yes, I'm done. All right. Well, I'm assuming Ben's done that um, since he just said he was done. <laughs> 
Uh, last scenes, it's not like there's a lot going on here, but we really should talk about it because this is the true introduction of the classic Bond characters. And I think this, if there was any reason why I wasn't that upset about having the gun barrel on the end as you guys were, I understood their reasoning for it because in Quantum, at least in Quantum of Solace, they said it was because that was the end of kind of his prologue. This is Bond's backstory. Having it in two movies back to back doesn't make total sense to me, but it does only because I think the 50th anniversary needed a big way to go out on. These last scenes, though, do a good job, too. Um, we don't have a Q scene, which is kind of strange, but this is the MI6 crew being introduced, really. And the Money Penny scene, you know, with her leaving Bond, the, the Ronson bulldog, <laughs> whatever we want to call that. Nice little scene there, again, showing London is a great location, which we don't really get to see a nice aerial shot there. And then the, the scene introducing Money Penny, which we'll, I'll just mention <sighs> briefly here. There were so many rumors that Naomi Harris was playing Money Penny when she was first cast, and then they announced her character's name was Eve, and everybody denied that she was Money Penny. Like, no, she's not Money Penny. Like everybody involved in the movie said she's not Money Penny. She's playing a character, you know, an MI6 agent. And the fact that they made her a field agent, I think, sold me as an audience member, where I wasn't buying that she was Money Penny anymore. Even when she was saying, you know, I'm going to be coming out of the field. It wasn't until that moment, as soon as they walk in the room and you see her standing in front of the hat rack, that very moment, I like freaked out and was like, oh, she's actually Money Penny. Like, it was like a freak out moment as a fan. <laughs> and it's like the traditional Money Penny office, and you have this this cool little interplay between them where he gets her name. My name's Eve, Eve Money Penny. And of course, you know what's coming at that point. And then Bond, I, I'm going to enjoy our time together, Miss Money Penny. Transition to the padded door. Woo! The greatest thing we have seen in this series since Roger Moore left, I believe. Did they have it in Dalton's era? Mm, don't think so. No, because they, they had did, that it was new ghetto blaster MIC. <laughs> yeah, the ghetto blaster. Uh, either way, you could say whatever you want about gun barrel or not. I was just wanting this padded door back. This is an M <laughs> office. and. I'll just quickly talk, I guess, we'll sum up the Mallory character at the same time. The, as far as the Eve character goes, I wasn't crazy about her when I first saw the movie, but what, again, once you know she's Money Penny, I love her. Uh, every scene she's in, I love these scenes. I love that it's different, that it doesn't bother me that she's a field agent at all. Like, it seems to bother a lot of people because she's a bad field agent, and this is the way it is with some people. Um, with Ray Fiennes, though, I mean talk about complete turnaround i didn't care about the mallory character at all throughout this movie when you were supposed to think that he was kind of in uh he was kind of a villain maybe or like a c potentially is what we'll get in specter or a mitchell like in quantum of solace all the famous uh trade uh traders that we have in mi6 no ronson yeah ronson's mi6 for life he's he's a true hero <laughs> um but with ray finds it's interesting watching over this movie it's not something that even really occurred to me. I was watching that they really tried to paint him as a shady character in this movie. There was a lot of talk about like it was almost a setup, like he was trying to take over MI6. Really, what they ended up doing was seeing the next one. But I don't know whether it's just that it didn't sell right for me, or that Ray Fiennes wasn't playing it shady enough. I love Ray Fiennes in this role, but I didn't buy him as Mallory. But the very second you see him in his office. And when Bond just walks in and he's almost distracted, there's something about that scene and the way he plays that introduction that is M. And it's very hard to do that because when Judy Dench was introduced, she was clearly a different M. And if you didn't say 
this is M, you wouldn't get it. You don't need the padded door to know that this is supposed to be M. The way it's filmed, everything, this is an M scene. And it's a perfect way to end off on the movie of them shaking hands and him identifying him as M. You know, the whole with pleasure M. Um, right to the gun barrel, which I'll defend in this movie only because the 50th anniversary, you should have a big bang to go out on. And I don't know if two guys shaking hands was it. I like the gun barrel at the end of this one. I don't think I would have accepted it had they done it one more time after this. But huge applause when this movie ended, when I saw it, uh, especially when that 50th anniversary came up. Like a very, very fitting thing. A lot of people have seen this the first time. It was the 50th anniversary. Everybody was waiting such a long time. The anticipation built. This was a great ending to the movie. And uh, I love that the MI6 crew is finally introduced in a traditional way. Uh, yeah, great little couple of short scenes. Well, pretty good. Uh, I love the roof rooftop uh, setting. That's awesome. Uh, I hate the money penny bit. No, it makes me cringe all the time because the script is just written so poorly. Like we need to reveal she's money penny. How are we going to do it? Oh, we haven't been formally introduced, even though you've been working on her with her for like two assignments, just for her to say that. And I, I initially hate Eve Money Penny. That just She's not oh. Eve Moneypenny. She's just Moneypenny. That really bothered me the first time around. Um, and it did bother me about her being a field agent and then becoming Moneypenny. Because it's, it's freaking Moneypenny. Stop messing with my Moneypenny. But after, after Spectre, uh, I kind of come around to it and it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Uh, but it did at the time. Like Everything they were doing with Moneypenny, I was not a fan of. But she's proven herself, definitely. Um but, yeah, I hate it. I, we haven't been formally introduced. Oh, my name's Eve. Eve Manypenny. Uh, oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> I, I did not like how that was done. But you know I'm a sucker for traditionalists and, like, keeping things the same in bonds. So when I saw those padded doors, I was like, you giddy is probably the mm -hmm. best description. And then he walks through the door. You know there's going to be an M. You just know because, and, it's like, dumb. he is... <laughs> she's there she's ready open um, the door with pleasure <laughs> yeah that's with the pleasure. perfect setup he tries to open and it's locked <laughs> open the door health and safety um yeah, someone needs to re-edit that and just like the Komodo dragons just put her throughout Bond history um but yeah you Perfectly right. It's like the Mallory character wasn't brilliant, but when you see him there, you're like, oh, all right, he's him. Let's do it. Like, it's not like you were dying for, oh, Ray Fiennes. It's not like Idris Elba. You know, Ray Fiennes needs to be the next M. But then it's like, oh, yeah, this can work. And, it, and as we saw in Spectre, it did work. I think he's a great M, and I think Naomi Harris is a great money penny. Ben Wishaw, yeah. Um, but it really got me so pumped up because it's the padded doors. We've got the money, Benny. We've got M. He's getting his mission. Bond is back. Finally, Bond is back. After all this three films, all this setup, we've got James Bond back. And Spectre happened and not really. Bond is not really back. It's still quite similar. I was hoping with this it would be, all right, none of this like backstory, none of this prequel. We've got the characters Next film, Bond 24, would be Bond on a mission. That's it. That's all the film's going to be. It's 
we've established our characters. Now it's back to James Bond. And we kind of had that, but not really, because we've got all this Blofeld, half-brother, Spectre business, which Spectre was a fun film, but, yeah, my excitement at the end of Skyfall was enormous. Like, it, my excitement was pumped up higher than when I was going into the cinema to watch Skyfall. This was a perfect ending, and one of the best endings to any James Bond film, just because it was setting up so much hype. It was amazing. It's it's interesting to think that as much as people sit down and discuss who will be the next James Bond, you know, watch Mojo top ten of top ten potential James Bonds, you never have the top ten potential M's. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. Anyway, um, Anna Stokely's got to be on the list there. Yeah, of course, absolutely. She's not, we'll we'll put the article out. <laughs> um, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um... Is he Scott? So. <laughs> no, he's not, but I just... Anyway. Uh, so when Bond's on the roof and but he's staring off over London, I love that scene, but why are the flags not at half-mast? Like, the head of, like, British intelligence has just been <laughs> brutally murdered. Surely there would be a bit of national mourning going on oh, there. Oh, they've been trying to get rid of her for years. <laughs> well, clearly she was already fired, so she wasn't there. Um, I'm with Noah. I don't like the money penny scene. I, I'm... Yeah, Naomi Harris, like, no, nah, I don't like the whole she was an agent, now she's a secretary. Go away. Um, and I had no idea coming into this again that she that was meant to be a money penny reveal. So I played dumb. I was the woman the whole movie. So when at the end when they're like, oh, I'm money penny, I'm like, oh, fuck, really? What? what? What's going on there? Like, you know? And, like, seriously, as Noah said, like, they've known each other for how long and they not once came up with their names? Like, she shaved this man and yet they don't <laughs> even know their names. Like, she, James Bond is just such a slut that he lets, like, women walk up to him and shave them without knowing their names. Well- I think this proves that she's a better field agent than we gave her credit for because they're given these names, 007, these code names for a reason so people don't know who you are. She was smart enough to keep her name private. Bond has to go around introducing himself as Bond James Bond all the time. That's why everybody's after him. Meh. Bring back Jane Moneypenny and the For Your Eyes Only James. Bring, <laughs> bring back... Book episode. Bring back... Book episode reference. Bring back Samantha Bond. Um, no! <laughs> Uh, the padded door, yes, I'm with you with all of that, and the ending's great, and it would have been perfect if we didn't have the gun barrel at the end and had it at the beginning, um, and... Would you rather not have the gun barrel at all? I wanted it at the beginning, not the end! <laughs> okay, but, but having it at the end, considering you already know it's not at the beginning, aren't you at least happy that it's on the end? Uh, sure. Well, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> but, um, I like at the end of the credits how we've got the classic Bond theme over the credits as well, so, um, yeah, 50 years, James Bond will return, and he did three years later, in Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. And that is Skyfall. Skyfall? And if we can get through our next bit of segments quicker than we normally do, one segment in particular, this might come in as our shortest episode in a couple of months. Um, Not to say anything against this movie, I think that uh, um, this movie we could talk forever about, just like Goldeneye, but... I'm hoping this is the first thing we're going to throw to because Ben's the one cueing the music, but is it... Rankings, Rankings! Or am I right now singing the Rankings song? Yeah, that was Rankings, because um, we always All right, I got it right. do that first. That would be awesome. Uh, Peter bang, bang, bang. Like, rankings, yeah. So we're doing rankings. I thought we first. did Peter Travis first. Yeah, well, Colin's doing his let's, own thing again. <laughs> okay, let's just change it up. No, Mr. right now Colin's we're going to hear Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. What? No, no, we're what actually we going to hear. No, we're actually going to hear 
Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. It's the hall, the hall with the classic scenes. What the fuck no, are we hearing? <laughs> this is like the gun barrel at the end all over again. Let's have Peter Travers. Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Gone through every theme song we have. Let's just scratch that and start with that stupid idiot, Peter Travers. <laughs> I'm so and fucking so we're confused. Doing <laughs> we just heard all the intros right then, and we're doing rank. Oh fucking hell, Colin! Peter uh, Travers, it is. <laughs> all right. So, what did the stupid idiot have to say? Did he rank this one? Colin's on his period. Um, <laughs> yes, this is the last one that he did rank. So we don't have a spectre ranking. He is he dead? He ranked this in fifth. Um, just ahead of Dr. No and just below Casino Royale. So he says, uh, if by an act of will you can forget the putrid follow-up to Casino Royale that was Quantum of Solace, then Skyfall continues Bond's backstory with staggering style and assurance. Sam Mendes, American Beauty, the first Oscar winner to direct a 007 film, teams with cinematographer Roger Deakins, No Country for Old Men, to craft the best-looking Bond movie ever. Mortality lurks in the shadows as Daniel Craig digs deep into Bond's past. Even Javier Bardem, dangerously thrilling villain, has real-world concerns. And Judy Dench's M... Bond's boss, thanks Peter uh, let's go with the emotional <laughs> power she held back in the lightweight Pierce Brosnan films, fuck you Peter Travers Bond cries, you might too this time, it really is personal sounds like a fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger and then movie. a round of applause because that's the last time we'll hear from Peter Travers, woo give I'm, it up for Peter, I'm going to send him a text and tell him where to put Spectre, uh, and for box office, um, still to this day, well, we've only had one film since, is the highest ranking James Bond film, most expensive James Bond, I know Spectre would have been more expensive to make, um, $304,360,277 uh, a whopping amount for a James Bond film I mean, no Bond film had ever made over $200 million let alone three hundred, and still no other film has made over 200 million dollars so easily on top continued the trend that we'd had since goldeneye of being the the newest film always went to number one but specter sadly has not continued that trend um and of course it was the second highest ranking film of 2012 beaten by the avengers um but if you took this more than the dark knight rises it did yes um, wow. So this, in terms of inflation, would be the third highest uh, behind Goldfinger and Thunderball. But we should also mention, we did kind of touch on it before, uh, won two Academy Awards, uh, obviously for Adele for the song, and sound editing for our favourite sound editors, Per Halberg and Karen Baker Landers. They actually tied with uh. Paul N.J. Otterson and, uh, well, that's it, for Zero Dark Thirty. I'm going to say they lost just because they did not include a duh sound effect during <laughs> Hannah Stokes. All right, let's get the hard one out of the way first here. It's light. Moving on to the one that I'm really hoping we agree on for a change. Oh, kiss, Mr. Yeah, we don't need to play the intro again. We've heard them all before. Mr. Who? I've been here before, we've heard them all, you whore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think we just start playing the songs again. I'm I'm just not playing the intros again, because we heard them all before, thanks Colin. Anyway. I'm going to start with the kill one, just because I'm not entirely sure. all over the place today. Well, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to land on the kill count. Um, 
I'm not 100% confident because this is a harder one, but my number is 16. Ooh. Ooh. I've got 15. I've got 19. <laughs> Ben's wrong. Okay. Uh, I've got 15 or in brackets 17. <laughs> what? <laughs> Those are two separate numbers. You know that, well, right? Well, it depends on if you want to count the people in the helicopter or not. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'd count them. Why well, 17. Why wouldn't you count the people okay. in the helicopter? So can you just, because I'm at 16 and I might have missed one. Can you just read your 17 to us? Uh, Patrice. Yeah. Or Ronson, as you like to call him. <laughs> uh, four on the island. Yes. Nine in the climax. Uh, and silver. Three. Let me see. I have three that he killed with his car. Three that he oh, killed. Eleven in the climax, sorry, because of the chopper. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Okay, here's one that I'm questioning, though. There's a guy that he kicks... One of the two guys, when he's chasing through the fields, he kicks in the face. Are we counting that as a kill? He's neck snap, don't you? I mean, I'm okay to count with a kill, because we don't see it again. I mean, if it's not a kill. He's the worst henchman. Well, I think it solidified it when he threw a canoe on him. So let's... <laughs> yeah. And when he was in the grass. Um... <laughs> guy in grass. Yeah, this is a throwback to guy in grass. <laughs> there was a guy in the grass. Um... Ben, if you, I'm willing to go with 17 Look, because you have one extra one in the climax, but I'm probably the the one. only it's difference I've got. You guys said four on the island. I've got five on the island somewhere, but I mean, as I said, I rewound that a lot of times, so I'll take four with that. More than though. You didn't kill Severin, Ben. Um, no, no, no. I I just counted wrong. Um, and in terms of the climb, look, I'm happy to go with you because I've gotten a lot more on the climb. Two okay. more on the climb. So 17. None of us were right, but Noah's number in brackets. Next to his answer was right. <laughs> Are we going with 17? I'll go uh, with 17. I'm fine with that. One more than Quantum. Okay, I'm happy with that. Right. And we had hit 300 at Quantum, so we're now well into the 300s. We're at 317. 317 uh, kisses. Or 357 two. if you count octopus. <laughs> Which we should. <laughs> and die uh, and fucking uh, Goldeneye with all those barrel deaths. I'm golden eye when you had like seventy (laughs) two. I stand by that. The guy that he, the guy that he looks funny at, golden eye. He's dead. That's the death stare. I stand by my count. (laughs) Stand by your mini driver and Uh, Dur woman would be a perfect couple. (laughs) Mini driver should have been Dur. That would have been a good woman pinball. Unless you've listened to every 007 episode or read every post we have on the internet, you're so confused right well, now. Well, you should have listened to it by now. Not shame on you. Okay, let's do the kisses. I had two. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, Bond, James Bonds, I had one. Yep. Yep. And Martinis, I feel like there probably should be one in this movie, but I might have missed it. I didn't count there it. There was one. one. There is one. Where is it? Um, at the Macau. Yes. When he orders it as a martini? Well, you see it Well, in the she was shaking it up and pouring okay. it into and a doesn't martini. doesn't he say, like, yeah, perfect or something? Doesn't he, like, go perfect or something like that? Oh, that's the solidifier. <laughs> he said perfect. <laughs> yeah. If, it's not, if he doesn't order a martini and you don't Never says identify that she's shaking and putting it in a martini glass, as long as he says perfect, that's the, <laughs> the thing that solidifies it. No, no. Uh, she shook it up, she poured it in a martini glass, and he said, perfect, I think we okay. can count it. This isn't going to be like Living Daylights, where it's on the other side of the room and he never touches it and we count it. He actually did drink it, somebody can confirm that? 
Well, well, I guess that's why he said perfect, right? <laughs> no, he just liked the presentation. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Thank All you. right, so let's go with one. So, so yes. what's our final totals of everything? Uh, Bond, James, oh. Bond's 25, Martini's 22, Fuck's 57, and Kill's 317. Okay, so he has two more Bond, James, Bonds than he had movies at this point, but he has one less Martini than he had movies. Two less Martini. So we'll see no, one less Martini. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Lots of Bollinger, though. <laughs> Um, let's move on to our choices for Hall of Fame. All right, Bond being there's gay. A, there's, a, there's one obvious <laughs> one. Is it just that part, Ben, that you liked, or did you like more of the scene? It was, it was quick on that one. <laughs> ben, hang it on. The 23 films. It's not the whole scene, it's gay just that one little bit. Bond being gay. Gay Bond. That one, well... For yeah, reasons deal. of Silva's introduction and everything else, that entire Silva introduction scene, I think, is has, has to be in there. Yeah, well, just well, what would we say? Silva's intro scene, I guess. Yeah. Slash gay bomb. <laughs> Slash gay bomb. <laughs> Slash um, in the Navy. I don't know. Honestly, I have so many scenes M's in here death. that I would be okay with putting in. I, I thought about M's death, too. I, well, we I include, I guess, the final showdown in the chapel with sure. M. Silva. What was sure, that? What? Sure. <laughs> sure. That was, what like, the fuck was that, was Noah? Sure. Was, oh, wait, I won't say that. So hang on, are we just saying M's death is all the show, final show? What are we saying? Sure. Final showdown. Final chapel showdown slash M's. You know, final chapel showdown. <laughs> At 2.09 on a Thursday or slash Friday morning, Tasmanians balls drop. (laughs) Uh, Okay. uh, Left. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of scenes I think could be in here. I would think the train part, especially of the intro would be worth it. (laughs) Yeah, Um, this this is the most trainy film of them all. No, just the... I mean, everything from Bond ripping apart the train to the fight on top of the train. Um, you can't just have every train moment. My, my two would be the train bit just for the cuff link bit or the train yeah. coming or when Silver blows up that train and it just comes through the, the roof. To me, you can't have a James Bond Hall of Fame without, uh, with pleasure, M, with pleasure. It's too brief of a scene, I think. It's like five minutes. No, you count the I, money, I Penny, and you count Bond five minutes. Did you have it on like slow track? <laughs> with pleasure, <laughs> with pleasure. <laughs> I wanted to recreate her because I missed her. I missed her <laughs> with pleasure. No, I'm counting the money, Penny stuff, and on the no, roof look, in look, London. No, hang on, no, the bulldog. You and I money hate the money, Penny scene. We cannot that. put that in there. No way. Yeah, but. Uh, Oh. Good. I'm not Casino putting the train scene in the whole. I think the, o- the opening. Tra- I'm with Colin. I feel like I've ganged Boo. up on Colin a lot in these Hall of Fame, so I feel like I need to side with him for once, and I agree with him. That's not how Hall of Fame works. Well, no, as you've said to <laughs> yes, me before, oh, name name another one better. <laughs> name another one better. Uh, Shanghai fight. I would put. Yeah, I would put the money penny <laughs> shaving scene in there. No, but I don't Shanghai. Know. No, Colin. What's <laughs> wrong with that scene? <laughs> she almost kills him. That's uh, <laughs> uh, the the DB five. Patrice, Patrice, fuck off. 
<laughs> the DB5. Nah. Uh, another train. very brief moment, though. No, but you include go on and eject me. Train. Nah. Nah. Train. <laughs> opening train. No, not opening <laughs> train. Dirt train. Now you know how I felt when you guys wanted to put Timothy Dalton dropping. Well, what about the Thunderbolt? We're going to have two movies in a row here with the opening scene in the Hall of Fame because if I'm, I'm seriously, I would bet my house. I don't have it yet, but on the fact that I think the opening scene in Spectre will make our Hall of Fame. Oh, I think it has to. Apparently, it's not even a democracy, so it has to. Well, let's Noah throw some better ideas (laughs) out there. Hang on, longer. Can we just put out Noah? A democracy is based on the majority of votes. The majority of votes (laughs) has just won this battle, so it is a democracy. (laughs) Touche. If you can come up with scenes that are longer than fifteen seconds that can beat that, I'll go for it. Patrice, fight. Mallory, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, introduction of Ronson. <laughs> in that case, let's just do the whole pre-title scene. Let's put the whole uh, fucking movie in there. Skyfall is in the whole. So, you know what? I've got another. Oh, good what about one. the title sequence? We could go with um, uh, the first scene between Silva and M, and him removing his mouth apparatus and oh, stuff. That's, that's a pretty. Yeah, no, democracy is where you have the majority of the votes. It's the opening train sequence. No, I'm up. Yeah, I, I could, I could be swayed. Ah, oh, so you, ca- I come around on the opening train <laughs> sequence, and you want to change it now? Well, no, I'd go with the train sequence over that, but I'm trying to present you an option that you're not going to complain about in six more episodes. I feel we've covered the movie well here. We've got the opening, the closing, and basically the middle scene. So I think we're good. <laughs> okay, this is this, this is this count is for the, this so is, is this still the long? This isn't the longest. Spectre overtook this as the longest film, didn't it? Well, I'm just going to quickly comment on that because people often say, like, this movie is the longest. If you include the fact that this has six or seven minutes of closing credits and Honor Majesty's Secret Service has 30 seconds, I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service for screen time of the story is still the longest. But, yeah, it is one of the longer ones. But but does Spectre overtake it by, like, two minutes or something? Oh, yeah. It's, like, eight minutes longer, I think. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. Thank you. So we went from the shortest to the longest, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Rankings. (laughs) <laughs> rankings all right so i'll start off here even though this one's gonna be really hard for me um i've actually never had a harder time ranking a movie even though i'm pretty confident where i want to put it it's just there's three movies here that are so close for me that it almost feels wrong to put one above the other and i'm, I'm kind of looking at the the area here of I mean, my top three are On a Majesty's Secret Service, From Russia with Love, Casino Royale. Um, those aren't being touched. But between The Spy, Love Me, Goldfinger, and this, it's really tough for me because I think they all have something different, but they're all movies that I could just watch over and over again and not get sick of. And even the slower parts of the movies are still so watchable. It's... I, I, I probably would have put Skyfall higher than Spy Who Loved Me a year ago. But at the same time, I would have put Goldfinger higher than Spy Love Me a year ago, and then I rank Spy Who Love Me highest right now out of all these. So I think uh, I don't think I could get past how overall entertaining Goldfinger is, and I think this movie and Spy Who Love Me are very similar. They have very similar tone to them. Um, I'll probably put this then at number six. So 
behind Goldfinger and uh, two spots below Spy Who Loved Me, but just ahead of World Is Not Enough, Golden Eye, and Thunderball. I honestly thought you were going to put this like a lot higher than that. I'm I'm a bit shocked. Well, I'll, I'm I'm going to say this is get. why this is why I was pretty torn on this because I would probably consider the Spy Who Loved Me, Goldfinger, and Skyfall all even. So even though they have different numbers in the rankings, I could say Skyfall, Spy Who Loved Me, and Goldfinger are all tied for fourth for me. Ooh. Um, sorry, that just insert stock. Curious noise. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, the spider on me is number one for me, and it's not going to top that one. Um, Quantum of Solace is last for me, and it's going to be higher than that one. Um, Goldeneye is second for me. It's going to be low. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, that would be a fun way to do it, but it's too late for that. Uh, there's a lot to love with Skyfall. They did a lot right. There's some stuff that I'm still a bit iffy on. Not a lot, but it's just it doesn't have the same feeling and excitement watching it as a lot of these other ones do. That's not to say it's a bad film. A few plot holes here and there. It still annoys me that there was no proper Bond girl. Um, there's like no henchman, proper one, like this Patrice. Um, and there's a lot of Bondian elements that I wish were there. The ending is great. There's a lot of great characters. Uh, it's a well shot film. But again, it, every time I watch it, I find more stuff that kind of lowers it for me. So it's not a bad film, but I feel like ever since I've seen it, I've never been as high as it as most people are. Like, most people are saying this is the greatest Bond film ever when I got out of the cinema. Like, I'd see people on my Facebook saying, oh, I just saw the best Bond film ever. And it's like, yeah. But you've probably only actually seen Skyfall and Quantum of Solace, so there's not a huge competition. Um, so I can't put it too low, can't put it too high. So we're going to have to reserve the right to maybe change later on. But for now, I think I'm going to say... Number 10 for Skyfall. It's in the top 10, but it's not high up there as Dr. No and Goldfinger from Rush with Love, Majesty's Diamonds Are Forever, Casino Royale, Golden Ice by Love. Yeah, it's good to know that it tops Moonraker in your eyes, though. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, well, Jesus. <laughs> um, just, ne- just narrowly. Well, it's it still, uh, what, six spots below Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, Living Daylight's ahead of it too. Good job. Um, well, yeah. you can laugh at me having Diamonds Are Forever there, but Ben's about to say his list. <laughs> I, again, have been, you know, three times I've only seen this, but, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great film. It's going to make my top ten. I won't tease it out too much there. Um, you know, again, there's just so much about it to love. I'm still very much iffy on the whole, let's just bring in this for the sake of bringing it in with the whole Skyfall stuff. I think you could just easily do away with that and still have a fine film. Um, it's got top five villain of all time, top ten, top five song of all time. Um, you know, M, Judy Dench is fantastic. The the locations, cinematographies are fantastic. And there's just a lot to love about this. But again, it's a Daniel Craig film. There's a lot that could have been celebrated a lot more with the 50th anniversary with a classic film. I really think Spectre should have been the, the 50th year film because that was more Bond-esque than Skyfall. You know, swap them around. Make Skyfall number 24 and make Spectre number 23. Um, you know... And I just, I mean, this is a film that, yeah, you can easily pick up and watch. Would this be a film that if somebody said to me, I've never seen a James Bond film, you know, what should I watch as a James Bond film? I wouldn't show them Skyfall because 
again, this isn't a James Bond film from what I guess a traditionalist would consider a James Bond film. It's a modern James Bond film, but, you know, as a standalone movie outside of the James Bond franchise, this is still a brilliant film. So, based on that, and I kind of look at this more so, I was going to put it somewhere around 5, 6, or 7, and I'm putting in at 7th, purely based on the fact that if I had to choose between this and Die Another Day as a film that is a fun Saturday night film to watch, that I want to watch as a James Bond film, <laughs> Die Another Day is going to win it. So, Die Another Day is at 6, Skyfall's at 7. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Here you have the most praised and awarded James Bond movie of all time, sandwiched in between Die Another Day and License to Kill on your list. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Okay. And let's just look uh, at the bottom of Colin's list where Die Another Day and License to Kill are the final two. <laughs> yeah, along with Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> but that's uh, one hell of a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just going to back up what I said earlier. I think that I- I've tried to make the argument throughout this movie that there is a lot of classic Bond that came back here. And I think if you were to just go from Casino Royale and Quantum directly into Spectre, it's not natural. I think that there's just enough classic stuff in here that it was a welcome change particularly with the the pre-title scene and the over-the-top villain and the over-top villain layer and all that um the song so i think that this is the perfect transition and i think the only way we could have ever gotten what we got out of specter was for this movie so um that's the end of skyfall and skyfall exists pretty much now only <laughs> to set up specter apparently which we'll be covering in the next episode so we? Uh, we've had a little bit of time to talk about it, and uh, we had a little bit of time to think about it since our last discussion, but I think we're probably going to cover a good amount in this, having seen it multiple times, because from, I think, all of our discussions, we've all had changing opinions on this since the first time we saw it and the last time we recapped this when it first came out. I think for me, I've actually... It came out on Blu-ray about two weeks ago here in Canada, so I've watched already. I'm planning to watch it probably at least one, maybe even two more times before we record the episode because I have to take it over to a friend's house to see it. So I should have it almost memorized by then, but the one thing I'll say is the first few times I saw this before it came out on Blu-ray, I was probably a little bit higher on the second half of the movie, and I think what's going to be harder for me, and maybe it'll change as we go through it more, is that second half, which I think it takes a big nosedive from the first half, which I actually think is fantastic. So right now I have a very unbalanced opinion on Spectre. Um, there are some things in it that I absolutely love still, and uh, I think we're all going to be on board with the things that work well about this movie, but yeah, the second half of it, uh, it may take some defending to sell me on it, I don't know. Um, I'm still looking forward to talking about it, though, because it's going to be our first chance to kind of revisit something after seeing a first opinion. Uh, yeah, we've pretty much stated our opinions on it. I've seen it a few more times since then, and uh, you keep picking up things each time you watch it. Um, some good things, some bad things, some more subtleties. Um, it definitely grows on me each time I see it, but undeniably there are some issues with this film. And it's kind of interesting because I don't know what the public opinion on Spectre... Like, I've read loads and loads of comments, but I'm not sure if the public opinion is this film sucks or this film rocks. It's kind of bipolar in a way. We've, uh, like, one moment, it's everyone's loving it, and then one moment, oh, this is the worst thing ever. So that would be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I enjoy it. I can't wait to watch it again. Don't want to go on too much because we've already talked about it, but it should be a fun one to 
revisit and see what else we've picked up on and how our opinion has changed. I might have to listen to our our reaction episode before we record our next Spectre one, but I'm looking forward to it. And bit bittersweet, as it will be our final recap until Bond 25. And this is kind of the final time we'll ever get to have a segment like this, where we actually get to forward think about what we're talking about, because um, at the end of Spectre, unless we wait like three years, um, we can't exactly say, oh, I'm looking forward to talking about Spectrefall or something like that, you know, it's um, <laughs> something Shut along those hand. lines. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to do this recap because, I mean, we came about just in the lead-up to Spectre. You know, we did a trailer analysis, we did a song analysis, another trailer analysis, then a reaction episode. You know, like, we did all these episodes on it. And as kind of Colin said, um, you know, we're revisiting all this sort of stuff, so it's going to be fascinating. And I've been looking forward to being able to do a proper recap of this. But, I mean, this is a film... I've, I saw it twice at the movies. The first time I ever saw a James Bond movie more than once in the cinema. Um, and I sort of half-watched bits and pieces of of it since, even though it hasn't been released on DVD and Blu-ray in Australia <clears throat> as of the time of recording this. Um, but it's a film that just I warm to the more I think about it, and my second viewing I liked it a lot more, and I, I've got a feeling the third time I'm going to like it even more. Like, this to me might be one of these ones that you know, it's it's my, like, a, a view to a kill or license kill, like, one of these ones that I feel like, no, you say you feel that it's very bipolar. For the most part, what I know, it's not very well liked now. Like, it, it seems to be, from what I see about the opinions of this, that it's a fairly disliked Bond film. Uh, maybe I'm just reading different parts of the internet and stuff like that, but I... F- not the 1990s forums, are you? I- <laughs> Ben's on the dark web looking for that Judy Dench Albert Finney tape. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like, even though this movie's technically only been out for, like, four months at the time of recording this i need to defend it um because you know i mean what's just so good about this is it's kind of like it's finally this modern interpretation of what the bond film should be and there's just so much of it and craig just gives these like he is james bond in this movie like i've given him shit for the way he's and i didn't really talk too much about craig in this film i mean he's at his broody best in skyfall but um you know he's got emotion in spectre i feel he knows how to smile and crack a bit more of a joke so um you know it's it's good that finally james bond is back since 2002 um but yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. It's it's going to be a fun episode, and um, I say bring it on. And we will bring it on a lot sooner than it took for us to get this episode out. Uh, we'll record it really soon. Uh, right so Spectre coming soon. <laughs> like, let's just start now. All right. So hello everybody and welcome Barrel. to Double Odds Seven. Uh, I've been here before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Might be in a, another Academy Award winning film in a few days. Who knows? Let's hope not. We just dated the recording of this podcast, but let's hope not. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's about uh, the Academy Awards of 2019, huh? Of course. Yeah, where Sam Smith came back to sing the theme for Bond 26. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Writing's that's, on the wall, too. That's the writing is still on the wall. Shut up, let Colin finish. <laughs> <Still on. laughs> the writing just won't erase from the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote it? <laughs> There's going to be a prequel about the the writing that's on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's hope so. Before the writing, what was on the wall? <laughs> I think we've all died a little during this episode. And yet, this is our shortest episode in months. So, round of applause for that! Yay! Why, babe? You don't finish it. Yeah. Uh, well, if you let me finish it, maybe I would. <laughs> So let's finish it then. Wow, um, get so vicious at the end. 
My name is Colin, and if this was your first time, I was glad to be your first time. Um, my name is Noah, and peace out, you bozos. And my name is Ben. And the only appropriate way to say goodbye is to all at the same time say, Gun. Short. Agent. Provocateur. Woman. Provocatrix. And bitch. Murder. Employment. Slavery. Done. 007 reporting for duty. Ran out of drink where you were, did they? Good luck, 007. Don't cock it up. I'll do my best. Bronson's down. Oh, my name's Eve. Eve Moneypenny. I look forward to our time together, Miss Moneypenny. Me too. I'm sure we'll have one or two close shaves. World first time for everything. What makes you think this is my first time? Oh, what's the problem? I'll find a hotel. Well, you're bloody well not sleeping here. And like all great ladies, she still has her secret ways. Mommy was very bad. Some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill him first. Then we better get ready. Welcome to Scotland. <laughs> Temporary suspension from fieldwork. Something to do with killing 007. Well, you gave her your best shot. I read your obituary of me. And? Appalling. I did call you an exemplar of British fortitude. I hope it was all right. I'm your new quartermaster. You must be joking. Not exactly Christmas, is it? Are you expecting an exploding pen? We don't really go in for that anymore. It won't open. Of course it will. Put your back into it. Why don't you come down here and put your back into it? Let's see what you've got for us, Mr. Silver. I will. What do you say to that? It's a waste of good scotch. Only a certain kind of woman wears a backless dress with a Beretta sedative strapped to her thigh. I feel naked about it. Don't touch your ear. Old dog. New trim. Are you going to complain the whole way? Oh, go on then, eject me. See if I can. What do you say? Bloody big ship. The whole office goes up in smoke and that bloody thing survives. Your interior decorating tips have always been appreciated, don't you say? See what she's done to you. Well, she never tied me to a chair. Her loss. Open the door. Duh.